Hey guys, Cable here, and this week's podcast is proudly brought to you by Pyro Putty. This is a product that uh, I'm very excited about as far as reinventing the wheel when it comes to fire starting technology. You can get Pyro Putty wet, it's still going to light. You can attach it to a wet log, it's going to burn long enough to start a fire on that wet wood. So when it comes to boosting morale in the backcountry, what what is better than a, a warm fire, right? There's nothing. You get home from a long day, back to camp. You've been chasing elk through the mountains or mule deer or whatever for you know, from sunup to sundown. You're cold and you're wet, and you can't get a fire started. Not because you don't have a fire starter, but because that fire starter doesn't do the job. Pyro Putty does, and you can find it at pyroputty.com. It's a size of about a can of dip. That's all it is. And inside that can of dip, you got a seven-hour burn time. You put a, a piece the size of a nickel on a stick, and it's going to burn for eight to ten minutes. It's pyro putty. You need it in your backcountry kit. It's going to boost morale. Could save your life. You never know. Uh, but you can find it at pyroputty.com. Ladies and gentlemen, the five-pound bass. This morning, before the sun, fixed me some coffee and a honey bun. Jumped in the pickup, gave her the gas. I'm going out to catch a five-pound bass. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Cable Smith, welcome everybody to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Powered by the Alice Safari Club. I am so excited to be here today. Thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in. Thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris as well, our longtime presenting sponsors. Of course, it had to be Robert Earl Keane's Five Pound Bass kicking things off for us this morning. As we've got perhaps the most incredible big bass tale that you will ever hear. And this is one that I'm so excited to get into. It's absolutely fascinating the depths that this man went to paint himself as a modern-day bass legend, all of it lies. I mean, it's absolutely mind-blowing. Um, so before we're joined by uh, our guest today, you know what to do. Pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat-up old thermos because today's tale is one for the ages. And we've got Kellen Ellis here in studio. He is the man who broke the story on the fraudulent legend of Mike Long with his recent piece, The Dark Secret of America's Big Bass King. So uh, it's going to be an absolutely wild ride today as we dive into the falsified lake records, the uh, Big Bass tournament winnings for a nationwide contest, undoubtedly where Mike Long cheated folks out of hundreds of thousands of dollars over the years and then his tournament antics which <laughs> some of the stuff he did even with partners in the boat will blow your mind so uh, get ready because today is going to be uh, absolutely an eye-opening experience for all of us I guarantee you that uh, so that's what we're going to do today we're going to do the whole show with Kellen, um, I think there's so much depth and context to not just Mike Long's story, but how rampant cheating was in this sport back in the early 2000s. 
And, man, it is going to be a good one. I promise you that. Um, Before we start our discussion with Kellen regarding his personal relationship with Mike and then culminating with this incredibly well-reported article, um, I do want to do a couple things, and that is remind you about our Photo of the Year contest. It's going on right now. Send in your best hunting, fishing, or outdoor photo to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com. We'll get you entered into our July contest, which uh, we're giving up, uh, offering up a Vortex Ranger Laser Rangefinder. Uh, so another great prize from Vortex Optics. Just send in those photos. And then also we've got a giveaway today. And since we're going to be talking bass fishing, I've got... This is a Major League Fishing jersey. It's autographed by a lot of the top elite pros. Aaron Martins, Skeet Reese, uh, Dean Rojas is on here, uh, Mike Iconelli, uh, who else? I think Kevin Van Dam signed this bad boy. Uh, so there's like 15 anglers that signed this jersey. And so if you are a uh, bass fishing enthusiast, this will make a perfect addition to your man cave. I'll throw in a Lone Star beer camo cap as well. So if you're interested in that prize pack, just email the word bass, that's bass, to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com. I'll get you entered. Let's take a quick break. We've got so much to get into today. It's going to make you mad. It's going to make you laugh. <laughs> There's a lot of humor here uh, that we're going to get into today. And ultimately, it's going to make you smile when it comes full circle. And we'll dive into it next with SD Fish's Kellen Ellis right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Sheets on the line Wash down grandma's cooking with some homemade apple shine Going back to the country Going back to the country Are you tired of waking up at 2 a.m. to fight public land skybusters? Cable here for Three Crow Outfitters and their new North Texas Duck Club, which consists of over 3,000 acres and 40 water bodies throughout Ellis and Navarro counties. Three Crow does the planting, provides metal blinds, decoys, and posts a weekly scouting report. All you and your buddies do is reserve the property you want and show up to hunt. This opportunity is limited to 10 four-person memberships, so for the waterfowling experience of your lifetime, go to threecurl.com or call 214-641-8097 today. Howdy folks, I'm Lee Hoffair for Hoffair's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffair's once again the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. Pike County, Illinois, and the surrounding area is hallowed ground for whitetail hunters. And with 21 years experience, Golden Triangle Whitetails is the oldest outfitter in the state. Spread out over 14,000 acres, they have 350 acres of food plots, 500 tree stands, and over 80 box blinds. The guides take pride in having hunters harvest giant Midwest bucks. Golden Triangle Whitetail hunts the Illinois archery, shotgun, and muzzleloader season. They have a full-time chef and excellent lodging. Book your whitetail hunt of a lifetime by going to www.goldentrianglewhitetail.com today. There I go, thinking about you again. Watching where you are and where you've been. It's been hard to let you go. Now I'm wishing on a shooting star. And I'm on your mind wherever you are. All right, Cable Smith, welcoming everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. That is Mason Lively's Hard to Let Go. Cool thing uh, coming up next week, by the way, 
Mason Lively will be here in studio. Uh, so we'll talk some hunting and fishing and hear some brand new music from one of country music's real up-and-comers, uh, great songwriter, only 21 years old. So certainly looking forward to that coming up next week. I also want to say thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris, our longtime presenting sponsors. Thanks to you all for being here today. We are, man, we're about to get into one of the craziest fishing stories that you'll ever hear. And it's not just one story. It's a career worth of lies perpetuated by one angler, America's former big bass king, Mike Long. And we're going to visit with the man who wrote the story that took Mike down. Uh, Kellen Ellis. But first, this segment brought to you by All Seasons Feeder's Dam Fish Feeder. If you're trying to grow big bass on your property, for example, here's what you do. You get the Dam Fish Feeder, you put it on your damn dam, and you feed your damn fish. It's that easy. The Dam Fish Feeder, and you can find it at allseasonsfeeders.com. Now, without further ado, uh, let's bring him on right now. Former tournament angler, founder of SD Fish, and recently turned investigative reporter, Kellen Ellis. Thanks for being here, man. It's great to have you in studio. Thanks for having me. It's exciting. Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. So um, you made the trek from Fort Worth, but obviously that is not where you're from. Uh, so how did you end up in Fort Worth from California? I spent my first 26 years out there in San Diego, and my girlfriend, uh, Amanda, got a job out at TCU. So made the haul to Fort Worth. Loved our time here so far. And you've been here how long? Eight years. Okay. Awesome. So the whole California aspect is what we're going to be talking about today because you have a very personal relationship with basically a fictional character who became America's big bass guru. And we're talking about Mike Long. Um, you just released a story recently, uh, The Dark Secret of America's Big Bass Guru exposing everything that had happened over the course of this guy's basically made-up fishing career. Yeah. And I thought it was fascinating. By far the, the most interesting uh, fishing article that I've read in the last couple of years, for sure. Um, so talk about, going back to the, the early part of this, we'll talk about SD Fish, your love for fishing. Let's Before we talk about Mike's situation, that story, what, what about Kellen? I've always been in, into fish. Um, my first word was actually fish. Um, my dad's buddy had a fish market, and when I was, you know, baby, I was being shown these salmon and halibut and stuff like that that were being sold in the fish market, and I just loved fish. So, yeah, my first word was literally fish. Um, fishing's, <laughs> you know, my my uh, my one love with as far as hobbies go. I've stuck with it since I was old enough to cast. Uh -huh. um, I. Did some tournament fishing as soon as I was old enough to compete doing that. At one time, you know, I thought I wanted to be a professional angler until I realized how far those guys have to drive and what that really entails. But, uh, yeah, yeah for me, it just comes back to the fish. I just love the fish. And uh, that's what makes San Diego special with these largemouth bass is the fish are, are huge. They're the, you know, the biggest in the world, or at least biggest in the country. So Some you Texans know, might take offense to that. But. And, and they can. <laughs> and Texas is a... <laughs> world-class bass fishery is for the entire state but um but they I'm can't sure they can't fish. grow bass as big as california does it's yeah. just i mean they can't i'm sure you fished like fork in your time here i actually haven't no no i've done very little fishing when i've been in texas uh -huh. um i've been consumed with the san diego fishing thing still and i i go back there frequently yeah and i was a little burnt out on the bass fishing thing when i came out here because of this mike long story and some of the other cheating things that were going on mm -hmm. but um 
But yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, so when did you first become aware of, of Mike? I met Mike in the early 2000s uh, at a bass tournament. He was he was a big deal at the time, but you know not like quite a superstar yet. Mm-hmm. But there was a two day tournament, biggest in San Diego, and it was uh, it was like you know maybe the third tournament I'd ever fished. And we were leading after the first day, and Mike Long um, took an interest in what we were doing and came up and introduced himself and palled around. And even after the second day, we kind of bombed out. But he sat right next to me at the award ceremony, and we got a bunch of checks because of what we did in the first day. And Mike was very cool about it, man. He was, he was, uh, you know, clapping as loud as anybody when we went up there to get the checks. And and like I said, he sat right next to me. So mm. he, uh, we were kind of friends from that day forward. Um, we did some stuff together on my website. He had a question and answer form on my website in the middle 2000s that was, you know, incredibly popular. It was one of the most popular things we've done on the forum. Uh-huh. But, uh, and SD Fish is a community. It's a forum. Yeah, SD Fish started out as just a message board, uh, kind of in the mid two thousands. It branched out and turned it into a blog, also to start adding some content that I was writing and producing. But yeah, it's a it's a fishing forum first and foremost. Okay. Um, did Mike initially gain notoriety for catching big bass or for winning tournaments? Like, where did how did he pop onto the scene? His first moment of in the limelight was a big catfish that he caught in a float tube. It was, a, I think, a 78-pound catfish that he caught at a private lake in Southern California. And that's the first I remember seeing him in the newspaper. Mm-hmm. And then uh, later that year, he had some articles written about him, specifically about large bass that he was claiming to catch. Mm. And then the Big, big Bass Record Club popped up in the late 90s. 1999 was their first year, and he won it. Uh, well, before it. we talk about that, though, he, the catfish, he was poaching the catfish. We but think, no one knew at the time. Yeah, there were some suspicions about the catfish because the photo that he produced with the, you know, he sent into the the um, the author of the article. Uh, it was dark. It appeared to be at night, and the lakes out there are closed at night, so he shouldn't have been out there if it was at night. But mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of fishermen do that. That's not exactly a crime of the century to be fishing at night when you're not supposed to be. Yeah, so I'm he, not going to confirm or deny if yeah. I hit up the local golf course. Yeah, same, same. <laughs> I've done it very little, but but I've done it and. Uh, yeah, and we're not exactly talking about a golf course here. We're talking about <laughs> this is a, a lake that's open for fishing, but it has very specific rules about when you can be out there fishing. So. Sure. So he pops onto the scene as a catfish angler and then transitions into bass fishing. When did you first become aware of, of Mike Wong um, in regards to catching big bass? I think it was probably that Big Bass Record Club. I think when he when he won that in 1999, and again, I, f- I can't remember off the top of my head right now what, what size fish he won with, but... Big Bass Beckard Club was a club designed to to pay off the biggest fish in the entire country. It was a, a nationwide contest for the largest bass that you could produce. Mm-hmm. And they gave $25,000 away for first place. And uh, they actually paid out the top 10 big fish in the country. And Mike won, I think, three slots in that top 10 the first year. And after the first year, they said, you know, the angler can only produce or, or claim the, the top one that he earned. He couldn't, you know, just fill out the entire top 10 or whatever. Uh-huh. So he actually won $78,000 that first year with, with a combination of three fish in the top 10, oh, including wow. the biggest one. And I think <laughs> that's when we, he became a superstar. I think uh, the next year, it was either that year or the next year, Fishing and Hunting News, which was a magazine publication out there in the West, um, produced a top 40 list of California bass anglers. And usually it's a bunch of tournament guys, um, you know, like Dean Rojas, Skeet Reese, mm-hmm. guys like that were prominent in the list. And Mike Long was number one there in, I think, 1999 and 2000. 
And that's, you know, that kind of cemented where he was at and what kind of huh. wow. anger he had become. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, $25,000. And so it's like, you know, um, the Muy Grande Deer Contest in Texas. Um, entrance, pay a fee, and then that is the pot, I guess, essentially, that, that pays out. I don't know how they pulled this off because the entry fee, I think, was eighteen ninety nine. Huh. It was just a small membership fee in this club. And it was actually run by two entrepreneurs in Orlando, Florida. So I think these guys just had an interest in big bass and wanted to do this. Hmm. I don't know where they came up with the capital to pay these things out, but um, it seemed like in the early years, they certainly wouldn't have had enough membership fees to cover everything, but but they did and they paid them out. And this was all done on an honor system? Like how did these guys submit their catches? Yeah, they, um, they just needed photographs of the fish with the measurement. So you get a photo of a fish hanging on a scale. And then you get another couple photos of the length and the girth measurements, and that was it. That's all they required that first year. And there's no um, way to validate how the fish was caught? No. Later on, they started requiring witnesses. But again, you just had to have a witness for the, you know, the validation of the fish's size. Not, you didn't have to have a witness of a fish being caught, just the fish being weighed and being as big as you claimed it to be. And then in 2001, I think that was the year that he caught Dottie, which was a 20.75 pound bass, uh, the ninth largest bass ever caught. Yeah, yeah. That was uh, that was the first time he got on the cover of Bassmaster magazine. I think he became a real big deal at that point. That was uh, that was the big one. That was uh, one of the biggest fish. I think at the time it was maybe the fifth largest fish ever caught, or up there like that. Uh-huh. So, and it was one of the largest fish that had been caught in decades. So it was uh, it was a huge deal back then. And, and so he, you know, obviously applies for that $25,000 prize with Dottie, and then he fails a polygraph. Yeah, it turns out he did not pass the polygraph test that was administered for that one. That was the first year that they required the anglers that claimed these prizes to submit to a polygraph exam, and he had trouble passing that, that exam. And according to John Kerr, who's mentioned in the article quite a bit, and a good friend of Mike's at the time, actually went to high school with him. Um, John said that Mike had told him that uh, he was having trouble when they asked him about what the bait, which bait he used to catch the fish. Mm -hmm. And so there was some question about whether or not he caught it on the swim bait that he claimed to have caught it on. Which he kind of became known for fishing big swim baits. And I guess in those clear water lakes in your part of the world where you're from originally, these bass are feeding on rainbow trout. Yeah, rainbow trout. And, uh, and the swim bait that he used or that he claimed to have caught Dottie on was not like the traditional swim bait that, you know, are so popular now. Mm-hmm. This was almost, um, it, it was like a bottom bouncing bait. It was, it was weighted in, inside the nose. So it was something that you would have fished along the bottom or had to, you know, retrieve very quickly. So it's not a glide bait or, or one of these baits, these big trout baits now that are neutrally buoyant or float. This was something that would have been drug along the bottom or fished near the bottom. And it was small. It was probably five inches it was a little castaic with a little tiny treble hook hmm. but no one knows how he really got that. nobody knows that's just what he claimed that's <laughs> yeah which we'll talk about more um so okay so he ends up he still ends up getting that prize though he does yep they he, end up giving it to him yeah twenty five thousand dollars yep the gentleman that uh ran the big bass record club i was able to track him down and he confirmed that mike did have some trouble did not pass that first test but after uh, uh period of about 90 days they administered another test to him and he passed it and they uh they they gave him the money Hmm. wow okay 
Well, it's a big fish, regardless of how he caught it. Um, that's that's 20, 20 plus pound bass. Yeah, that I'll get you on the cover of a magazine, um, which you know only helped escalate his rise. Um, let's um, let's talk about the tournaments because that seemed like that was the next thing. I guess this the uh, big bass um, sweepstakes, whatever it was called, it went defunct like a couple years after that. Yeah, I think they paid out uh, the 2002 contest, uh-huh. which ironically Mike did not submit a fish for, despite claiming to have caught you know some 18, 19 pound fish. I think 18 pounds um, yeah. was the biggest one he said he caught that year, and it was one with the fish like in the 17 range. So Mike oh. was basically saying that he could have won the, the contest if he wanted to or or whatever. But oh. for whatever reason, he didn't enter it that year, and they paid it out in 2002 and 2003. They started out the year saying they were going to do it, and it went defunct at some point in 2003. I think when Jed Dickerson later caught the same fish that Mike caught at Dixon, Dottie, uh, a guy named Jed Dickerson caught her in 2003, and she weighed like 21.67 pounds. Wow. And that's real close to the world record. And the Big Bass Record Club was also offering an $8 million prize if you caught the world record bass and you were a club member. So I think that scared off their insurance provider. Lloyd's of London, uh-huh. uh, I guess, jacked up the premium after that. Uh-huh. But, yeah, they folded right in the middle of that season. Wow. Okay. Um, so then I guess after that he starts focusing on tournaments? Yeah, he, he'd already been fishing some tournaments at this time. He had teamed up with John Kerr, who I just mentioned, and they were having some success. They uh, had won the Anger of the Year, you know, the points race in the one bass series, which was at the time the biggest series going in San Diego. So he'd already kind of established himself, you know, through that as a, you know, as the top dog in the, in the tournament scene as well. Mm -hmm. But John was really catching all the fish. Yeah. John, John, you told me off there, John was like the, probably the best angler in the San Diego area. Yeah. And I still think that I still think John's the best angler that's in San Diego or probably ever fished in San Diego. Uh, John is incredible. John went on to win the U.S. Open in 2003, the first pro tournament they ever fished. And the U.S. Open is the biggest pro tournament in the Western United States. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, John's king. Um, mm. If not for Mike, John would be a huge deal nationwide. It's a damn shame, no doubt about that. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll get into how the legend of Mike Long continued to grow through falsified lake records and tournament cheating. All right. And that segment was brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit. You know, land is the one thing they ain't making any more of, right? But we all want it. I know I do. Whether that's for hunting, fishing, recreating, running cattle, or just to get the hell out of the big city, Lone Star Ag Credit has been doing this a long time. They've been helping their borrowers for over 100 years. They'll do the same for you. Find them at LoneStarAgCredit.com. We'll be right back with more from SD Fish's Kellen Ellis. You're listening to the Mike Long Story on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Gotta go now, baby. If I hurry, I can still make Cheyenne. The granddaddy of all hunting shows returns this August to Houston, Fort Worth, and San Antonio. The 2019 Hunters Extravaganza. We'll have all the latest in hunting gadgets and gear. Buy direct from the manufacturers and save. Bring the kids and see Gator Country's huge alligators. Last season's bucks from our annual deer contest. Live rattlesnakes. And enter our incredible locked and loaded giveaway. The 2019 Hunters Extravaganza. Returning this August to Houston, Fort Worth, and San Antonio. For details and tickets, visit HuntersExtravaganza.com. 
In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of Dallas and Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, and now McKinney. Visit BobcatOfDallas.com or call 469-586-0000. I'm Craig Boddington. I'd like to invite you to become a member of Dallas Safari Club, one of the world's leading hunting and conservation organizations. As a member, you'll receive Game Trails Magazine, a monthly newsletter, and invitations to our monthly meetings and special activities. Join Dallas Safari Club, an international organization based in Dallas, supporting hunting and conservation worldwide. For more information, call 800-9-GO-HUNT or visit our website at www.biggame.org. Well, I was riding high when I drove you to the lake that starry night. Took a little detour through an open field. Our first taste of how freedom feels in an 87 74 by singing. Baby, it'll make him like that anymore. Yeah, yeah. A little Zane Williams, 87 Chevy 4x4, bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. Thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris as well. I'm your host, Cable Smith. Thank you so much for being here today. It is great to be talking outdoors with you. And we've got a special guest here in the studio, Kellen Ellis of SD Fish, and also the author of one of the most revealing fish stories that you'll ever hear, the Mike Long Saga. And uh, we'll get back into that here momentarily. But first, this segment... Proudly brought to you by Pulsar Night Vision and Thermal Imaging Technology. If you haven't seen the new Pulsar Thermion, you need to check it out. Uh, Rifle scope. It's a 30-millimeter tube. So for all the bolt-action guys that for a long time have wanted the perfect thermal optic but not a big fan of ARs, hey, this is for you. It's the Pulsar Thermion. It's got all of the great features that the uh, Pulsar trail lineup is famous for, uh, plus some new ones. You can check it out at PulsarNV.com, and you'll get 20% off your order when you use that promo code LONESTAR. That's LONESTAR at PulsarNV.com. Okay, well, um, Kellen, certainly enjoying the conversation, man. Thanks for sticking around through the break, brother. You betcha. You know, we, we talked a little bit about the, the, the big bass sweepstakes, prizes that, uh, you know, cash that Mike won was a lot of money, $78,000 in one year. Nobody knows really if he cheated on those or not we can only assume but we haven't really told the listeners you know why we know he's a cheater and we're going to get into that um and i think we, we're going to start now with the tournaments um going back to the early party you know when he's fishing with john kerr you mentioned in the article which is it's i encourage everybody to check it out it's nine pages it's worth the read like i said it's the best fishing piece i've read in some time um but John has told you many times that it just doesn't make sense. Mike would fish with him, not contribute, maybe catch one fish out of the five fish limit. But essentially, John even said it took him three years to learn how to use a baitcaster. Yeah, and a lot of people question, you know, why John continued to fish with them. But again, they were they were winning Anger of the Year titles regardless, just based on you know presumably John's you know success and talent. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't really any reason to break it up. John's one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. He'd give you the sheriff's back. He literally would. So I think he just, you know, kept going with the flow and there was no reason to really break anything up. It's not like John was going to say, you're, you're not a good enough fisherman. I'm going to go pick another partner. Yeah. 
and there was a few different series in San Diego. So John was fishing the one bass series with Mike and he was fishing other series with other anglers. So this wasn't like, you know, these two were married or anything like that. They're yeah. just, uh, but then Mike started fishing that, I guess the other series by himself and yeah. kicking John's butt. Yeah. Which so, to John just was like, this doesn't make sense. Cause I outfish this guy every day when we fish together and now he's destroying not just me, but the entire field. And he's the first two tournaments he fished solo. He won. Yeah. Yeah, John and Mike together hadn't won a tournament in their first 12 tournaments together. Uh, and then Mike went and fished by himself in a couple tournaments in a row and won both of those. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, that that should have been cause for concern enough right there. Looking back at that, that was pretty obvious that something was up there. But nobody even thought twice. And nobody thought twice. Everyone even, was like, oh, Mike Long. Even though Mike hadn't won a bass tournament yet, it still felt like he should he was the favorite and he should have been winning because of the big bass record club stuff mm-hmm. and the lake records that he had been catching recently. Yeah. Yeah. And I want let's talk about those, the lake records. Cause this is the stuff to me in the article is just the most blasphemous. I can't believe that some of these lake records were allowed. And some of them, I think most of them still are lake records, even though people know he cheated. So I guess the, uh, the first one, um, was uh, was the lake? It starts with a C. You'll have to help me out. Cuyamaca, which is a little mountain lake. It's shallow, about eight feet deep at its deepest point, and it's at fifty six hundred feet of elevation. So it's a mountain reservoir. Uh huh. And so, what was the controversy surrounding that one? Like he took the picture in a boat, but didn't have a boat at the time, or something like that. At the time, there really wasn't much controversy publicly, but uh-huh. but John Kerr and Mike had been fishing Cuyamaca quite a bit, and it was kind of a it, it's a secret up you know, in the bass fishing community. And it's a, it's an hour, hour and a half drive to get up there. So not a lot of guys want to go up there, mm-hmm. but, um, but they never brought their boats up there. It's a lake that's shallow and small and you can fish the entire thing from the bank in one day. So mm-hmm. there's really no reason to have your boat up there. Um, you would use waders and just get in the water and be more stealthy and do it that way if you needed to get off the bank just a little bit. But there was no reason to bring a boat up there. It's, it's, it actually hinders you more than it helps. So, mm-hmm. One day he just shows up, claims lake record, and the photos are taken in a bass boat. I don't even believe it was his bass boat. Uh, I don't think he had a boat at the time. So he shows up with somebody's boat and has the lake record, and it's a a big, fat fish that looked like it come from somewhere else. But at the time, again— 14-something pounds, right? It was 14-something, which coincidentally was the existing lake record. So he basically tied the lake record with that fish— it's still within the realm of possibility. That lake doesn't kick out a ton of big fish, but it kicks out a lot of like eight to ten pound fish. Mm-hmm. A fourteen pounder is possible, so nobody really, really questioned it. And the legend grew. I think John Kerr mm-hmm. kind of saw it and saw, you know, man, that's really weird that you took your boat up there and caught that fish. Just you know, that's a that's a weird coincidence. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Uh, so then the what was the next one? Was it uh, was it Sutherland? Yeah, the Sutherland one was the first big controversy with Mike Long, and I remember that vividly because that wasn't celebrated. Even at the time, um, the lake staff and people that were at the lake, the guy that ran the concessions, they were all over my message board, you know, crying foul, saying that this fish did not come from Lake Sutherland, that this did not look like a Sutherland bass. And Sutherland is another lake that's at some elevation. I don't know off the top of my head what it is. but It's, it's dirty, though. It's dirty, it's stained, it's cooler, so the bass don't grow as big or as fast. And they spawn later. They spawn later, and he caught it that lined up with the spawns at the lowland lakes, the you know the sea-level lakes that are just down the road from it. So uh-huh. 
Yeah, it just didn't look like a Sutherland bass. Um, and is this the lake where he had never fished before? Yeah, the people at the, at the lake staff said that they had never seen him up there. This was the first time they had seen him, and he was kind of a star at this point, so they recognized him, uh -huh. but they recognized him from the newspaper, not seeing him every day up there. And again, these lakes are small. Don't you know? Don't think of a Texas lake when you're thinking of this. Think of a, it's like a pond. There's one launch ramp. There's just a few people working the lake. You and know, these bass are just gorging themselves you, on rainbow trout and getting huge. Yeah, and not at Sutherland. Not at, at Sutherland again. Didn't have any trout. Oh wow! So the bass at Sutherland look a lot like the bass in Texas or mm -hmm. other parts of the country. Um, they don't have the big rainbow trout bellies. They don't have the big white bright bellies because the water is stained, so they're a little bit darker and. Yeah. And their colors are a little bit more muted and neutral. So this this big bright green and white bass with a big giant belly caught, <laughs> you know, in the, and, early and the in the season. Says that, so they, they basically they spawn um, in the lower uh, elevation, like in March. Yeah. And this this Lake Sutherland is more like an April May spawn. Yeah, or even later. Yeah, it's um. And he shows up with his bass just full of eggs. And and was and you said in the piece like he was real shady about like taking it out was looking around making sure certain people weren't there. Yeah, a lot of the lake staff you know, recalled that vividly that he was. Uh, it just his actions were weird that day. Also, in addition to that bass looking like it didn't belong, he just looked like he was pulling something. Mm -hmm. He didn't want them to get a good look at the fish. He didn't want anybody to to handle it themselves or or uh, or be a part of it. He just wanted to weigh it in, get it documented, and then get out of there. And is this the one where there's no photos of it? There's no photos. It was um, in the bait shop and then just mysteriously disappeared? The little rental boat house that's on the lake. Yeah, they had a picture of it briefly, and then nobody knows what happened to the picture. Um, huh. One of the lake staff said that she took it down because she didn't want you know that record to stand as the record, or that fish to stand as the record. So Does it still stand today? Technically, yes. The lakes have kind of backed off promoting these Um which I hate. I hate that I think that this kind of took some steam out of the lake records mm -hmm. because they're not proud of them or they don't trust them. But uh, yeah, technically this stands today. Yeah, and and but he's such a big star at this time; it just kind of goes unnoticed. And and even though it wasn't celebrated, nobody seemed to really care. Yeah, I think he got away with things that nobody else would have been able to get away with. There's documented cases of fish at other San Diego lakes getting denied record claims because that you know just didn't add up. But because he was Mike Long, kind oh, of yeah. expected and this. One other thing about that whole Sutherland deal, um, every everybody, the lake staff said this is this is a clear water fish, right? And then you did some research, or or they did even at the time, and and found out that he had been fishing. What is it, Poway? How do you say that? Poway, yep. Poway. He'd been fishing there earlier in the day. Shows up at Sutherland, a lake he's never fished ever, to anyone's knowledge, and just bam, slams a lake record, weighs, and then just leaves. Yeah. Never to return. <laughs> yeah, very bizarre circumstances. But yeah, it turns out they did call around and, and Lake Poway confirmed that he was there that morning and, and caught a big fish. So, uh, Okay, so that's the uh, the controversy behind Lake Sutherland. Uh, that's a, a great fish story right there, you know, when it comes to uh, telling those lies that anglers like to tell. This Mike Long character, he told the biggest ones, spun the biggest yarns, and uh, that continued with the Lake Poway record, which is just absolutely asinine. Uh, and I'm going to let you talk a little bit about that because once again, here's this guy, John Kerr, who's kind of taken Mike under his wing and is such a nice guy. And then John stabs him in the back and I'm going to let you talk about this. Yeah. Takes his record from him. So this is a sequence of events that's almost unbelievable. But John Kerr 
in I believe 2002 catches a 16 pounder at Lake Poway. And the record at Lake Poway at the time was I think 17 and a half pounds. So mm-hmm. this was a fish that was close to the lake record, but clearly not the lake record. It was a giant fish, but you know, it wasn't worth anything really. So Mike Long shows up at the lake after John had caught it. I believe John called him and, you know, told him that he caught a big fish and Mike comes up to the lake to, you know, celebrate with him. And Mike asks to take a Mike asks to take a couple photos with the fish. Just Mike in the phone. Just Mike, yeah. It's so weird. I would Yeah. It's like saying I want to take a picture with another dude's buck. Like, it's kind of sacrilegious. You, I mean, why would you fish. want to take a fish no. a photo with somebody else's exactly. fish? But and, and John said at the time that he thought this was weird, but he he went along with it and allowed Mike to k- take a couple photos with it. So Mike gets in the rental boat that's now uh, tied to the dock, and the fish is is uh, on a stringer on the side of the boat. It, it was released later, but it was on a stringer. And so Mike pulls it up, takes a couple photos with it. Do you have to rent a boat at this lake? You have to rent a boat at this lake. Okay. Yeah, there's no launch ramp at Lake Poway. So so Mike takes a couple photos with it. They actually take the the fish over to the shore and take another series of photos standing on the bank kind of underneath a tree. And they release the fish, and that's that. Uh-huh. And then Mike Long claims to have caught an 18, uh, I think an 18-pound, one-ounce bass at Lake Poway later that year. And John Kerr says, oh, wow, that's amazing. That's a great fish. You know, where's the photo of it? And Mike said, oh, we're getting the photos developed still. I'll show them to you when I get them, yada, yada. So it turns out John sees the photo a few months later, and it is a photo of Mike in the rental boat with John Kerr's 16-pounder from a few months ago. The same, I mean, John Kerr's sunglasses are in the photo still. John Kerr's net's in the photo. Uh, there's another individual in the photo that was fishing with John that day. He's in the background. So it's clearly a case of one of those photos of Mike holding John's fish that Mike has used to claim an, a bigger fish for the lake record just months later. But how does so how does he submit it, though? With, do you just have to submit a photo? Like, where's the measurements and all that stuff? So apparently at this time, Lake Poway has just kind of a logbook inside the ranger's office. Mm-hmm. And you just kind of write down, I don't know if it was specifically for lake record fish or just any notable catch. It could have been a large trout or catfish or whatnot. But Mike Long went up there and wrote down that he caught an 18-pound, one-ounce bass. And then when he was pressed for evidence of that fish, nobody ever witnessed the catch. Nobody ever remembers him weighing that in at the dock. Wow. And a a writer pressed him for a photo initially, and and Mike sent in the photo of John Kerr's (laughs) 16-pounder that he was holding. So that's... That was crazy in itself, and we so kind of. What did John say at the time? John, he knew that something was up. Um, he called him out on it, and Mike just said that his photos didn't come out, and he just got flustered and was needing a photo for a fish, so he sent in that one. So it seemed kind of plausible at the time, but still, that's not the way a lake record should should fall. You should have and to again, have a witness. And again, everyone just says it's Mike Long. We're just gonna, and so yeah. they they accepted it. Like, they accepted there's it. There's a lake record, and yep. even though he's they accepted holding a picture it. of. And celebrated it. <laughs> they yes. celebrated it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, and big fish at the time sold. It was it got people to the lake. Mm-hmm. Again, San Diego is known for these giant big bass, so mm-hmm. it was a big deal, and it was everybody wanted to believe in this stuff. But the story doesn't uh, doesn't end there, and it goes on to Lake Jennings. It goes on to Lake Jennings, and Lake Jennings is a lower elevation lake that had a bunch of big bass, mm-hmm. and it's featured in the article prominently because I think that's one of the places that Mike was was using to acquire fish for tournaments. 
Hmm. at other lakes is this his golden ticket is that the, is that jennings was the golden ticket i think it was a big piece of the puzzle there it was a, a big opportunity for him to be able to fish a lake that nobody else was on at the time you know jennings is open three days a week and mike had access seven days a week 24 hours a day to go night, out there day, and yeah. it was closed at night time too it's closed at night so, so who gave him that access uh the guy that was running the lake hugh marks so hugh marks took that job in 2004 and and provided Mike with a code to that lake. And, and Mike wasn't the only one. I even had a code to the lake. And I think I used it twice. Mm-hmm. Just was uh, just didn't feel right. But but yeah, he, he justified that by saying that Mike was bringing publicity for the lake when catching big fish to the lake. Uh-huh. Okay. But um, yeah, so several years later, the news breaks that Mike Long catches a 17-pounder at Lake Jennings. And that's the lake record for Lake Jennings. And so Hugh Marks sends out press releases. Everybody's announcing this big fish. Uh, there were some questions at the time that Mike had caught it on a closed day. And that was really the only controversy was just that, you know, that Mike may have used his privilege at the lake to catch that bass when nobody else had access to the lake. And, uh, well, I don't fault him for that. Yeah. The photo, the the photo that he used was just a, a, it was cropped away in. It just basically showed him crouching, holding a fish, big fish. The fish lived, looked every bit of 17 pounds. Uh Uh-huh. And it's under a tree, and it's kind of darkish, just poor picture quality. And it was printed in the newspaper. It ended up making Bassmaster Magazine also. But nobody really ever questioned it. And, uh, and you know, legend grows. come around to 2019 <laughs> when I'm getting ready to publish this article, and this is leading up to probably a week before I published the article, I'm digging deep trying to find a photo of that Jennings bass. And I couldn't find it. There's nothing online about it. Um, the old articles in the Union Tribune don't include photos, so I couldn't see which photo it was. I didn't specifically remember the fish or mm-hmm. the photo of the fish, but I I had a, f- a folder on my computer that had a lot of bass photos of Mike Long because we were partnered up to do a video series at one point, and he had given me a lot of photos to use to promote, you know, to create a website for the video series. So you're actually going to go into business with him? We're going to go into business, and we can get to that a little later. But, yeah. but so I'm looking through these these fish photos and there's a file in the folder that's titled Jennings 17 I think January 29th, 2005 is the file name. And I look at it and my first thoughts were, this doesn't look like Mike Long looked in 2005. It looked like a younger version of Mike Long. Hmm. He has red hair, he has a goatee. And in this photo, his goatee is kind of bright red. And then I looked around in the folder at other photos from 2005 and his goatee had big splotches of gray in it. Hmm. So I felt pretty confident that maybe something was off with the file name, that this wasn't the actual fish or, or that maybe he pulled something with this one. So I start calling around and trying to get a hold of uh, Western Outdoor News, which was a newspaper publication covering fishing and hunting in California back then. Mm-hmm. And to see if, Maybe they still had an old copy of their of their periodical from that time period. Are they defunct now? They're still around. They're still going. Uh And so, you know, they tell me they're going to dig through the archives and whatnot. And I call Kevin Matson, who's mentioned in the article, another big bass angler and a friend of Mike Long's. And he remembers seeing the photo. He vividly remembered the photo, and he said, "I remember the photo because it looked like it was at night." And I said, well, the photo doesn't necessarily look like it's at night, but it's it's not daylight or they're at least under a tree or whatever. So I send him the photo 
that I have in that folder that Mike gave me. And he says, that's the photo. That's the photo I remember. That's the photo that is published in Western Outdoor News for the Jennings Lake record. Hmm. And so I'm like, wow. So here we go again. And so I go on eBay and I buy a copy of Bassmaster Magazine from that period. And then you know, I got the guys at Western Outdoor News looking through their storage unit, trying to find an old copy of this magazine to give me. You really turned yourself into like an investigative reporter here more than just a, a, a bass writer and angler. <laughs> yeah, we were chasing down. You know, we were investigating for sure. And I was doing a lot of that. Yeah. And uh, so Kevin Matson has an old... He has got a bunch of boxes of old magazines. He starts going through his garage, digging them out, and he finds a Bassmaster magazine from 2005. It was actually the April 2005 issue, and there is that picture that that Mike gave me that's labeled Jennings 17-2, January 29, 2005, and it's a photo of John Kerr's fish from three years earlier, 2002. Mike's wearing the exact same outfit. It's the same fish. The markings are all the same. And, and I'm just blown away. I'm like, man, that's, that's the craziest one of this whole entire article to me is that he took a fish that another guy caught that was 16 pounds and turned it into a lake record at one lake at 18 pounds and then an entirely different lake for 17 pounds. And I mean, a fish I that he didn't even catch. This is absurd. I have never heard of it. His buddy's fish and now he has two lake records. Yeah. And I called John Kerr and I said, did you guys take a series of photos you know, on the shoreline with this fish. Cause that was the other thing. It, this wasn't in the boat that the original photos were from. And he says, yeah, we did. We went, you know, we went to the shoreline. We took another series of photos and I sent him that picture and he was just blown away cause he never caught it either. And maybe that was just because it was three years later and mm-hmm. he, and he just, you know, forgot what outfit Mike was wearing that time or, or whatever the case was, but he never caught it. We didn't catch it until, until 2019, Wow, 14 years later. <laughs> Unbelievable. Or when did you realize that the, uh, Powie record was fake. Was that in 2014? Okay. And in 2014, I wrote an article titled Mike Long admits deceit behind Poway Lake record. And that hurt him a bit that, uh, I think that was the reason why he lost his Dobbins rod sponsorship. He had a signature series of rods through Dobbins. Uh And at that same time period that ended. And it, he said that, that, uh, he told the same story. They told John at the time that, you know, his photos didn't come out of the 18 pounder that he caught. Yeah. And so he just used a photo of, of John Kerr's 16 pounder, you know, to get by. Uh-huh. So his claim was that he really did catch a fish that big and he was just trying to get a photo of it. Hmm. Okay. Um, so, okay. Then in 2019, this told Jennings lie is discovered by you. Um, let's do this. Let's, let's take a quick break because I mean, the story is, is <laughs> progressing here, but nowhere near over. Uh, the depths of the lies and lore of Mike Long, America's big bass guru. So are you cool to stick around? Absolutely. Perfect. And that segment was brought to you by Rudy's True Texas-style barbecue and Lone Star Beer. Of course, next time you're sitting around telling fish tales with your buddy, hopefully uh, not as exaggerated as Mike Long. But if you are trading fish and tails, you know what to do. Crack open a nice cold Lone Star Beer. Hell, Buy your buddy one too. He deserves it for sitting there listening to you yak on and on about that big bass that you caught. Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas. We'll be right back with more from Kellen Ellis as we continue the lore and legend of America's big bass guru on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. I'm gonna build me a boat with these two hands. 
Hey y'all, Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. The granddaddy of all hunting shows returns this August to Houston, Fort Worth, and San Antonio. The 2019 Hunters Extravaganza. We'll have all the latest in hunting gadgets and gear. Buy direct from the manufacturers and save. Bring the kids and see Gator Country's huge alligators. Last season's bucks from our annual deer contest. Live rattlesnakes. And enter our incredible locked and loaded giveaway. The 2019 Hunters Extravaganza. Returning this August to Houston, Fort Worth, and San Antonio. For details and tickets, visit huntersextravaganza.com. Just cotton mass and the copper heads. For some strange reason, I fit in. You can say I know the way by heart through the stumps and in the dark. One way in, and that's by bow that'll get you back in the Cable Smith, welcoming everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. That's the music of David. Lee Murphy, Pirate's Cove. Uh, you probably know him from his hit Dust on the Bottle, if you're a product of the uh, 80s or 90s anyway. I know I certainly was. But Pirate's Cove, by far his best tune in my estimation. Um, we are still visiting with Kellen Ellis, the uh, writer and really investigative journalist. <laughs> Not by choice, uh, but by pure dedication to this story, this cause of uncovering the truth behind Mike Long, the former American Big Bass guru. And we'll continue with that discussion here momentarily. But first, this segment proudly brought to you by Dallas Safari Club, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. I'd like to invite you to get plugged in with this great group of folks who are passionate about hunters' rights, education, and conservation for more info, check us out at biggame.org. With that being said, Kellen, certainly enjoying the conversation today, man. Like I said, this is one of the best fishing pieces that I've ever read. Uh, certainly the best in the last couple of years, hands down. And so certainly appreciate you sticking around through the break. You bet. We've talked a little bit about the uh, the Big Bass series. I mean, the Big Bass nationwide stuff that Mike was winning. Then we talked about the lake records and kind of briefly touched on the tournament trail. There's a lot more to get into on the tournament stuff. But one thing that in reading your piece here, really, it, I just laughed out loud when I saw it was the snow bass. And I think that is just adding uh, some texture on the humor side, <laughs> once again, with Mike Long and, and his exploits. Talk about that because I think our, our listeners really enjoy hearing about the snow bass. Yeah, the infamous snow bass video was a video that Mike actually posted on his social media. I believe it was Facebook back then that he was using. And it's a short clip of him at Cuyamaca, which I mentioned before is a 5,600 foot elevation mountain reservoir. And in the winter, it has snow on the ground. Mm -hmm. And so he called up to the Lake Ranger or one of the Lake Rangers at the time, Charlie Taylor, and asked him if there was snow on the ground that day. And Charlie said, yeah, there's snow up here. And so Mike shows up uh, a few hours later and 
he produces this snow bass video of him catching this big bass that I think he claimed it was 10 pounds. He claims to be, you know, crawling a jig and, and uh, you know, how it's key that he's retrieving it so slowly because it's so cold. Uh-huh. And he produces this photo and this, this video of a 10 pounder <laughs> in the snow. And if you, if you see the video, it should stand out pretty clearly. This is a hoax. It's, yeah. it's a staged series of events where he fakes a cast and then he goes and picks up a bass out of this little rock enclosure pen that he had built and picks it up and, you know, you says, can't see his actions though, because there's a small boulder blocking it. That's part of there's the, a small the pen boulder. That he built to put yeah. the bass in. So he crouches behind this boulder and he picks up a bass and turns around with it and, you know, says, Oh, look at this big snow bass and <laughs> does this whole spiel. Uh, and then posted on, he posted on social media. Yeah, and he stuff. posts on Facebook. And I think the video is intentionally very grainy or noisy. It's, it's not good resolution. It's not easy to see what's going on, but it's still, I mean, anybody can see it and see it's BS. Yeah. And then he takes it down cause he's getting railed for it. Yeah. He, he got a lot of heat over that. People didn't buy it at the time. He takes it down. And, uh, the, the copy that I included that I have on YouTube and included in the article is a, a guy just recorded the recording on his computer screen and kept it all these years. Yeah. So we were able to post it again. But the, the funny part is that somebody went back and found the rock enclosure that he built when the lake receded. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Kevin Matson and John Kerr went up there and, and took photos of the rock enclosure. And Charlie Taylor also, who was working at the lake had found it. So the, the water receded in the spring and the rock enclosure became visible and, and Charlie kind of put two and two together and called Kevin and told him about it. And Kevin went up there and videotaped it. And so what, in what year was that? Was this Gosh, after? I don't the, know off the top of my head. I was think this, this after was, all the tournament, like, uh, this is in the middle of swing the tournament stuff still. I think this is probably. So John had already fallen out at this point. Not quite. No, okay. but John's really skeptical. Yeah. And I think this doesn't help. John's really starting to think that this guy's just making up everything. Yeah. So when did you, because like you said, you guys were friends. You and Mike were friends. He befriended you, you know, at one of the tournaments you were you found success in when with you and your partner. Um, when did you realize he was full of crap? In 2010, it was like late 2009, early 2010. Mike approached me and wanted to do a video series, and this is kind of when GoPros were out, but they had a 15 second recording time. So nobody was doing the GoPro cast to catch stuff. Mm-hmm. And so we were going to just do a series of bass videos online showing these big, beautiful California bass. Mm-hmm. And we were going to film them with just regular camcorders. And Mike was insistent that he called me when he caught a big fish that I didn't need to film while we were fishing, that he could just recreate the catch and that he would let me know when he got a big flag. one. Yeah, big time red flag. And at the time, this was a big red flag to me. And I said, man, that's not that's not right. That doesn't make any sense. Um, John Kerr and Kevin Matson were also included in this. And all four of us were, were putting out big fish pretty regularly. And uh, I was on a, a good swim bait bite at Diamond Valley, which is another lake that Mike had claimed to have caught a lake record fish at. And I said, man, we can just go up Diamond Valley and just get some big fish on footage. It's not that difficult. Mm-hmm. And he said, no, I'll call you when I get a big one. You come out and we'll recreate it. That's what everybody does. That's what Roland Martin and Shaw Grigsby do on their shows. They, you know, they reel in plastic bags. And I thought, that's absurd. That's not what they're doing. But he had claimed he was on those shows. And he was on those shows. And he claimed that's what they were doing. And so 
I walked away from that going, this isn't right. This, you know, I'm not going to do this video series. And I told Mike basically that. And I told John Kerr and Kevin Matson that also. And Kevin Matson and John Kerr kind of, you know, had a little candid moment with me where they're like, we don't really believe what he's doing anyways here. You know, we don't have any proof. We don't know what's going on. We also don't have a problem going out and catching big bass and just yeah. filming that. Yeah. And they said, man, let's just do it without Mike. And I said, gosh, he's not going to allow that. You know, he's not, he's going to tear us down before we even get started. Cause he was still a big, big deal. He was a huge name. And, and we, I don't think we could have got away with going out without him and trying to do this without him, without him burning us down. Really? Huh? Yeah. Just out of spite or just like? out of spite. Yeah. He wouldn't have allowed it. He wanted all the attention and, and he would have, he would have made up lies or he would have torn us down on social media or whatever he had to do to keep it from happening. So, so we shelved it. We never did it. And other guys went on to do something similar. You know, the, the Big Bass Dreams thing is kind of similar to what we had in mind there. Uh-huh. Uh, and Oliver's had a lot of success doing that. But, but yeah, that was the end of it. And that was basically, John and Kevin had told me that they didn't think he was doing this stuff legitimately. And then everything that I had heard about Mike. Was John still fishing with him at the time? At the time, no. No, okay. John had stopped fishing with him several years earlier, but was still kind of hanging around. And they were still friends. Yeah. I mean, obviously friends enough to consider going into business. And I think John was skeptical, but he was, he was, uh, I don't know. He was willing to see where it would go if -hmm. we could pull this off. And I think John wanted to be a part of it. He knew it was going to be something cool. Um, but yeah, that's, that's it. And that was the moment where I, I kind of walked away thinking I got to look at everything more, more closely. I got to examine everything that Mike's done and, Find out for myself in the legend yeah, and, and see if this is really BS or not, or if this guy's really the big bass king of the world. Yeah. And everything that he had done previously kind of came flooding back in and, and the Sutherland record and all the controversy surrounding that, you know, almost 10 years earlier and, and the tournament's success that he was having that people were questioning whether or not he had hidden live wells and stuff like that. And that was, you know, it just, it just made me think that there's probably is something to this where all the smoke is, there probably is a fire. So mm-hmm. So we evaluated everything, and 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 I came to the conclusion that 100% this guy's full of it. This is not a real person. This is not a legitimate thing that he's doing. He's making up everything. And this was about in 2010. Yeah, was when you came to that realization. It was very early in 2010. I think I, probably the last time I saw Mike was in February 2010. Uh huh. Wow. Okay. We've 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 covered a lot, but there's one other lake record where there was some controversy. Uh, the Mission Viejo, and uh, because this because this is a chronological piece, and we we are kind of bouncing as we're trying to tell this story of uh, this fictional character Mike Long, the Big Bass Guru. So, what what was the Mission Viejo controversy? Because I do know you told me off the air that you thought that the next world record would either come out of Lake Dixon or Lake Viejo. Yeah, Mission Viejo is a small community lake that people in Texas would kind of be familiar with the idea of. It would be like your neighborhood lake where you know the rich people live on and have their docks and stuff. And this is right in the middle of Southern California. <laughs> That's where I caught my my big bass. My yeah, ten, two, three. But I'm I don't live in the neighborhood. Yeah, this is a <laughs> I little, just happen to visit there. It's a community lake where only the homeowners <laughs> and their guests have access to. And this is not something that's common in Southern California. There is only a couple of these places in in all of Los Angeles and, and San Diego counties. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't think San Diego County. Uh, San Diego County has one lake like this. So we'll put it that way. That big old city in San Diego has one lake like this. And Mission Viejo was up um, closer to LA. So mm-hmm. way off Mike Long's radar. But yeah, there's giant fish in Mission Viejo. And it's clear. 
there was giant fish. Unfortunately, they had a golden algae outbreak a few years ago and wiped out everything. Mm. But Mission Viejo and Lake Dixon were definitely, um, it, it seemed imminent that a world record was going to come at one of those two lakes, you know, any morning in the spring. Well, yeah, if there was a fish like Dottie, 20 plus pounders swimming around in, in Dixon, then you would, you know, there's reason to believe that that would be the case. Yeah. Um, but so what was the controversy surrounding that claim, that record at uh, Mission Viejo? So Mike Long produced a photo holding a big bass mm-hmm. and he claimed, I believe it was 19 pounds, two ounces and it was dark and people, people questioned the people that lived up at the lake and fished the lake and some of the fishing guides that had access to the lake had reason to believe that Mike wasn't even up there. Mm-hmm. So they kind of looked at it with a critical eye and one of those fishing guides took the photo and increased the brightness on it. And I don't know why he did that uh, or, or who thought to do that, but he did. And when you increase the brightness on the photo, this bush appears in the background, clear as day, this big chaparral style bush. Oh yeah, I've seen the comparison of the two photos, yeah. Yeah, it's in the article, check it out. And so then he went around the entire lake and this is a small little community lake with these big, beautiful Los Angeles homes around it and and filmed the entire lake and there's no bush that looks anything close to that. There's one tree on the entire lake basically uh-huh. and it's on the on one of the roads out of the lake and it's not the same tree. So he calls BS on it immediately and says this is not from Mission Viejo. Like right away as soon as Mike- right right away and uh-huh. it's a controversy online on a site called westernbass.com that's all about western bass fishing and Jerry Mayhew is the guy the the guy that that called him out for this and he posted on there and says it's BS and guys squash it. You know, some of the you know bass boat dealers and stuff in the town say, no, Mike's the guy, you know, why are you calling him out? And it kind of goes away until, you know, we get everything else. And all of a sudden this stuff, it, it means something again, you know, it has context again, but yeah, at the time it was squashed and Mike did not get the record for that. The homeowners association managed the records and they, to their credit said, you know, if there's not a witness of the fish, then it's not going to count as lake record. They said in their interview that they believe Mike Long caught a big bass at the, at the lake and that might just be covering their butt, but they said they believed he caught a big fish, but there was no witnesses and they actually required a lake staff member to be one of the witnesses. And since there were none of that, then there was no record. Yeah. So to their credit, he did not get that fish yet. Awesome. Awesome. Well, going back to, to the uh, tournament stuff and John Kerr, who really was Mike Long, right? Like you told me, he's uh, if Mike Long didn't create Mike Long, John Kerr would have been the big star. Yeah, yeah, and he, John Kerr is one of the best fishermen on the planet. I firmly believe that, mm. and he never got the credit that he was due because Mike was, I mean, Mike was literally taking fish, big fish that John caught, and making them bigger <laughs> and meaning more, and saying he caught them. So, at so, it, it, at some point in time, uh, John and his son Jordan go to Mike's house and they're hanging out because they're friends. They're friends, yes. And, and and his son sees some bass in a fish tank. Yeah. Mike Long's building this big custom home in a rural area of San Diego, which John John lived in the same rural community called Ramona. And Mike's building this big custom ranch home. Mm-hmm. And John and Jordan go over there to kind of check things out and and see the fish tank and fish in the fish tank like uh, i think uh, jordan said like seven six pound or something like that and so jordan thinks that's weird john 
How old is Jordan at the time? Jordan would have been probably 12 or 13. Uh-huh. Just a kid, yeah. He's just a kid. He's been around the game. He's seen these big fish. He grew up John Chris's son, so yeah. he's seen 18-pounders and stuff like that. Kid knows fish. He was a good fisherman at his time. He's already fishing some tournaments with John and holding his own. And so he starts telling his other friends that are similar ages that, you know, he saw these big fish in Mike's aquarium in his garage. And it circles back and gets back to Mike. And, and then he does some weird Mike stuff. Mike loses his mind. Yeah, Mike loses his mind and starts, you know, screaming to other people that he's going to teach Jordan a lesson and actually shows up at John Kerr's house uh, weeks or maybe even a month later and starts poking around asking what bedroom Jordan stays in and stuff like that. Odd. And then one other night he comes over and, and Jordan's in his bedroom and there's a light shining through from the front yard and he looks out there and it's, it's Mike long. And he goes, you know, what's up, Jordan? How's it going? And Jordan's like, uh, you know, what are you doing? Shining a light. And you know, Mike said, Oh, I'm just coming by saying what's up and plays it off. And so I don't, I don't know how much that meant in the moment. It was weird. I, I John and Jordan both acknowledged that that was really weird, but it, it maybe it is didn't, weird. It didn't it's scare him as much as you think it would. Yeah. Because again, he was a friend. It, it and he came over, and it wasn't well, that's unheard like if, of that he'd be coming if over. Someone did like my son's room, and yeah, I don't care if they're my friend; they're not my friend anymore. Yeah, that's just odd behavior. It's not normal. Definitely. And so, I guess what he was just trying to intimidate them or something. Yeah, they they kind of both had different different uh, conclusions about that. Mm-hmm. John thought that yeah that that he was coming over to intimidate him, and and Jordan really wasn't sure what was going on or why <laughs> why he was over there shining a light through his room. But the um. In the next tournament, Mike weighed in those two fish. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah, were in the which, fish tank. Which, yeah, when we're talking about Mike coming over to John's house, that would have, it would have already occurred that Mike had weighed those fish in a few weeks earlier uh, in a tournament with, I believe it was Todd Halverson that was fishing him at the time. And but it, didn't, didn't John say to someone else, I guarantee you tomorrow he's going to weigh in a five and a seven pounder that are going to have come out of his fish tank? Yes. Yeah. Um, I don't know if he was that direct with it about the sizes or whatever, yeah. but yeah, he said, you know, the, when John saw those fish in the tank, he, he saw them also. He, he wasn't naive. He knew yeah. that the only reason Mike had to have fish in his garage was that he was probably going to be weighing those in, in a he tournament. Pa- he pawned it off as he was trying to stock some. Yeah. He said he was stocking a pond, Yeah, yeah. which didn't make sense. Yeah. So, so where was, where does everyone think he was hiding these fish initially? When he's w- ripping off these solo tournament victories, because I don't obviously when he's fishing with John, and he's fishing with these other partners throughout his career, he's not hiding fish on the boat, um, or at least when he's not on, on not on their boats. I mean, it'd be impossible if they're on the up and up, right? Yeah. So when he's fishing by himself, you guys are y'all are having your live wells checked before the tournament. We have our live wells checked, but that's it. You pull up, and the tournament director or his assistants are standing there with a flashlight. And they peek over the rail of the boat, look in the live wells, and that's that. And you go launch and, and go on with the day. So that was the only mechanism to prevent this from happening. Obviously, if you consider that if you can keep a fish alive somewhere else in your boat that's not your live well, there's nobody going to be looking for it. Uh-huh. And he had, and somewhere else down the line in the story, that someone else sees something suspicious like these little, were they aerator stones or what, what were they? Yeah, um, like oxygen tablets. Uh-huh. And that's also John Kerr. So John Kerr. Later on, uh, there's a wildfire in California, and John Kerr's... This is actually previous, you know, we're going back chronologically, so this is previous to seeing the fish in the fish tank. Okay. And this is 
this is a couple years previous to that, and it's there's not as much smoke at this point. But Mike is just kicking everyone's ass. Mike is starting to kick people's butts. He's uh-huh. not like rattling off eight or nine wins in a row like he does later on down the road. So he's starting to have some success. He's won some tournaments by himself, winning a couple times a year. And there's a wildfire where John Jordan and his wife at the time, Amy, have to evacuate their house in Ramona. And they go down the hill about 25 minutes where Mike lives in Poway. And they're going to go stay with the Longs. And and John walks in and sees a box on the counter that's labeled Aqualung. And so he asked Mike about it. It's a great Mike, song. <laughs> <laughs> Mike says that he's, uh, I believe, you know, oxygenating the live wells at Lake Mead, which is a desert lake where it gets real hot and it's tough to keep your fish alive, you know, or so so you think. But, um, but yeah, so he says he's using them just for, for oxygen add, uh, additives in the live wells. And so John kind of just brushes that off, but at the same time remembers all these years later that that box was labeled Aqualung. And uh, John doesn't forget anything. So, so many years later, it kind of becomes clear what he might have been doing, which is using those oxygen tablets, uh, which were made by Fraybill. You know, the, the, uh-huh. yeah. they make all those bait buckets and stuff. Um, but and those oxygen tablets are made, marketed, and designed to oxygenate water and keep fish alive when there isn't a, a pump or something like that available. So, and you can buy fish online today. So, this is probably like stuff they would stick in a bag and ship you your fish. Yeah. Yep. So you could theoretically you could, stick a fish in a bag and stick it in some other compartment in your boat. Yeah, you could theoretically, with just a little bit of water, enough to cover the fish, put them in a bag and put them anywhere in the boat where nobody was looking. And so that's kind of what people think he was doing? That's Yeah. For the rumors, a long time were that he had a hidden live well, that he had some you know, uh, pump system somewhere else in his boat that he was using to keep these fish alive. And a lot of people use that as a defense for him because nobody had ever discovered this hidden libel. You know, mm-hmm. surely if he had these extra pumps, you know, when he took his boat in for service or whatever, somebody would see something and nobody had. So, so people kind of squash it. Well, you know, this is just a rumor. You guys are just haters, you know, get over it. <laughs> it's Mike Long. It's Mike Long. Yeah. He's yeah. just doing Mike Long things. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's do this. Let's take a quick break. Come back. We'll wrap this thing up and, and, discuss how he ultimately was, you know, caught cheating in these tournaments and, uh, and, and finish, finish up with, uh, we've talked about the rise and we'll get into the, the fall that, uh, you played an instrumental part in. Yeah, let's do it. Excellent. And that segment of the show brought to you by the Vortex Fury HD laser range finding binocular. I've got the 10 by 42s. Absolutely. The most versatile pair of glasses that I've ever had. Of course, you get the same VIP, lifetime, transferable warranty that you've come to expect from Vortex. They have the best customer service in the business. Vortex, the force of optics. We wrap up the Mike Long story next on the Lone Star Outdoors show. Slam the door, yell that loud, don't roll it in, let it out, put me down, put up a fight. Hey y'all, spring is here, and that means a lot of things, but specifically, your lawn is about to become your own worst nightmare. That's why I use JC's Landscaping. They do everything from lawn and landscape maintenance to fertilization and weed control. New premium sod installations. Hey, you need a French drain? I had to have them put in a French drain a couple years ago. They do that too. Landscaping updates, makeovers, stone borders, patios, and much more. Serving the North Dallas and surrounding areas, you can find them at jclandscapingllc.com and tell them cable sent you. 
Cable Smith, welcoming everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. A little Chris Knight for you today. Uh, thank you guys and gals for being here. Appreciate each and every one of you. Thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris as well. Uh, we are in the thick of it, folks, as we continue to break down the rise and fall of America's Big Bass King, the Mike Long Saga. And we're doing that with the the author of the piece titled the dark secret behind America's Big Bass King. Our buddy Kellen Ellis is here in studio, and we're going to get back into it with Kellen here in just a second. But first, this segment of the show proudly brought to you by First Light. You know, whitetail season is right around the corner, and if you haven't seen the Catalyst system, that's what I wore here in the Lone Star State and uh, actually put it to use in Illinois uh, whitetail hunting last year as well. But for folks who live in more mild climates, like if you live in the south, um, I can't recommend the Catalyst system enough. You can find it at firstlight.com. It's quiet. It's breathable. If you're a bow hunter, uh, man, it's the best suit that I've ever had. Check it out. The Catalyst. You can find it. Once again, firstlight.com. Firstlight, go further. Stay longer. Okay. Well, let's get back into it here with Kellen, who was nice enough. Gosh, Kellen, you've been here a while now, man. Uh, certainly appreciate you sticking around as we're about to wrap this up put a nice little bow on the most uh, incredulous fishing tale that i've ever heard let's continue down the tournament trail right now mike long has fished with partners and they've had success him and john Kerwin, angler of the year i don't know how many times over um, and then he's starting to go out on his own and, and kick john kerr's butt when they fix fish against each other when Mike doesn't have a partner, which to John just doesn't make any sense because he knows here's a guy that for three years I fished with him couldn't throw a baitcaster, right? Yeah. <laughs> so that doesn't make sense. Um, at what point in time did they say, okay, Mike, no more fishing solo. You have to have a partner. In I believe it was 2008, he all of a sudden just rattled off a streak where he won. Uh, again, the article talks about it. Off the top of my head, I want to say he won like eight or nine times that year. Mm -hmm. And that should be a red flag to anybody. It's bass fishing. I mean, he's winning thousands it, and thousands. He's of winning dollars. a couple thousand each time he goes yeah. out there, a few thousand each time he's doing it. He's doing a lot by himself. He's doing it. It's, you know, his his uh, you know, young son is showing up to a couple tournaments and fishing with them, and then he's got random partners for others. But, yeah, it was, uh, it was kind of after that where everybody's like, this doesn't it, – it's not possible. Mm -hmm. Nobody's this good. You know, Kevin Van Dam in Kalamazoo, Michigan, couldn't rattle off a bunch of eight or nine local wins in team tournaments. Just nobody's that good. And so people were kind of set out to catch him. Um, Buck Buchanan was an older gentleman, big time, big character, this white-haired guy, walked with a big limp, mm. but was funny as can be, big personality. He fishes with, with Mike a few times and sees something, uh, where during the course of a day he's he's fishing from the front of the boat and he's on the butt seat and he spins around and looks towards the back of the boat and Mike Long is down in the belly of the boat uh, in the cockpit area on his knees with a fish, a big fish. And Buck, 
you know, turns back, he spins back around on the butt seat casually and starts thinking in his own head what he's just seen, you know, yeah. what's going on. What, why does Mike have a fish in the middle of this tournament, just down on his knees in the boat? You know, what's going on? And if he caught it, why didn't he say it got he, a big one? Get yeah. The net if he caught somebody. it, why isn't it netted? He just, what did he see? He's I trying to make sense of what he right? said. Yeah. yeah. He would have been, he would have called for a net. Yeah. And so that, and Buck turns around and he, and he says, well, what, what's going on? And Mike's like, oh, I just caught this fish. And you know, well, why didn't you call for the net? And Mike says something about, you know, he didn't have time or, or no, he said, uh, he said it was windy and, you know, he did call for the net and Buck just didn't hear him. Again, oh. Buck's an, an older guy, but Buck is sharp as a tack. And so Buck knows that, that this is BS, that this and fish he just said Mike turned ghost white. Yeah. He said that Mike was white as his shirt. And uh, Buck thought that, you know, Mike had known he was busted at that point, that uh, he saw something that Buck wasn't supposed to see. So, And so was he just pulling this fish out of some secret compartment or? That's, yeah, that's what, what everybody thinks is huh. that's what Buck thought, that he pulled it out of one of maybe the rear tackle compartments hmm. or, you know, the cooler underneath the seat or something like that. Um, but yeah, he just all of a sudden had a fish and, and never called for the net. And did they win that tournament? They did not. No, I don't believe Buck and Mike ever won a tournament together. But they should um, certainly cashed, I imagine. They cashed. Yeah, they actually didn't do that well. They cashed a big fish check, some option money for that fish. But I don't believe that they even placed high in that tournament. Buck says that he basically shut things down at that time and told them, you know, this it's over. We're going to the, we're not weighing fish. And Mike was insistent that they weigh that fish because he did legitimately catch that fish in his mind. And so Mike weighed that fish against Buck's wishes and collected a check for it, a few hundred dollars or something like that. Mm -hmm. And Buck at the time was, was just blown away what just happened. Um, Buck had heard some things, but didn't really, up to that point, did not know that Mike Long was a cheater. He thought that still Mike Long was the greatest fisherman to ever cast a line in San Diego. And what he just saw was just unexplainable. Wow. So, so what does Buck do at that point? Buck, the next day, Buck goes to the tournament director and says what he saw. And the tournament director says, you know, that's impossible. We, we searched the boat and Buck says, no, you didn't search our boat. <laughs> Mike blew right past the search in the morning. And, uh, cause we were running late and launched without anybody going through the boat or doing anything like that. So that was kind of the, the moment in time where the tournament director's thought they needed to do more in regards to the searches of the boats. They needed to go through all the boat, all the compartments mm. instead of just taking a real brief look peek into a dark live well. Yeah. <laughs> so when did the, uh, when did the term BYOB come into play here, which, you know, you obviously, I, I love this pizza place up the street, BYOB, I bring my own beer, yeah. bring my Lone Star. Uh, bring your own bass to a tournament now is uh, something that is synonymous with Mike Long. Yeah, that was kind of a barb that John Kerr started throwing around before the tournaments, <laughs> you know, in bass. line when we're waiting for the lakes to open. Everybody's, <laughs> you know, queued up, parked, waiting for the, for the lake staff to come open the gate and talking and BS and doc talking, you know. And, yeah, John would, uh, would say that, you know, so-and-so is talking about Mike bringing his own bass and and it got Mike all paranoid Mike started looking for this person that was talking about BYOB and of course John just made that up you know my, John was just was kind of just dropping hints that I think I'm on to you I think I know what's going on I think you're bringing your own fish to these tournaments yeah 
and without outright confronting him about it. So, so it got, it got everybody talking and that became kind of a term BYOB Mike's, you know, bringing his own bass and that's what he was doing. So then there's this guy, Kevin, uh, Norling. Yep. And, and so I think there's more context to this specific instance because Mike had caught a big fish out of a pond and someone had seen him, right? Yes. Like yeah. the, like a day before or something like that. Yeah. This is when stuff starts getting real where we're, we're like, we know he's cheating uh-huh. and he's still cheating in front of us. So now we're looking at everything he does through the glass of, we know that he's pulling something on us here. Uh-huh. And why hasn't anyone just said no more Mike Long fishing in these tournaments? Is There's no proof. There's no proof. The no, at this point, nobody had any tangible proof. Even despite proof. what Buck said. Yeah, they were just like, yeah. no way. Okay. I mean, what Buck saw was just Mike holding the bass mm-hmm. in a bass tournament. Mm-hmm. He didn't see him pull it out. He has no idea what yeah. really happened there. So the Kevin Norling thing was towards the end and coincidentally there's a little pond up in Ramona where John Kerr lived and Jordan Kerr goes up there to fish just to kill a couple hours in the afternoon. And it's in a little campground. It's a tiny little pond. It's a mud hole. And there's a kid fishing and the kid, the kid offers up that he had seen Mike Long there and that Mike Long had just left with a fish on a stringer. And the kid thought that was weird that Mike Long would be keeping fish. You know, catch and release is really prevalent in Southern California. Nobody keeps bass. Especially big ones. Yeah. And so this is where, I don't, we're talking about like a six or seven pound fish, something like that. Uh So the kid just, you know, remarked that it was crazy that number one, Mike Long's up here fishing Dos Picos campground pond. And number two, that he took a fish home with him. And, and I think the kid may have said that, uh, you know, that Mike had told him he was stocking a pond or something similar to that. So Jordan Kerr goes home, tells, tells his dad, John, that, you know, it's crazy. You know, this kid at Dos Picos just saw Mike Long leave with a fish. And so, you know, John goes, well, obviously we know what he's going to do with the fish. And so John calls me and John tells me about it. And so we start thinking about how are we going to catch Mike in the act of getting this fish weighed in at a tournament? Mm-hmm. You know, how, what's he going to do with it? And by this point, the rumors are so loud about his hidden live wells and stuff that Mike has sought out this young up and coming angler, Kevin Norling to fish out of Kevin's boat because that squashes those rumors that he has a hidden live well and he's just bringing his own bass in his boat. So he's going to fish out of Kevin Norling's boat and they're going to win regardless. And so we're trying to determine how he's going to get a bass into Kevin's boat or weigh it in at the end of the tournament without Kevin being aware of it. So I, I immediately thought that he's probably going to tie it off somewhere. That made the most sense to me that mm-hmm. he could put it to a tree and come and get it at some point during the tournament and, and do it that way. But the lake, this is a larger lake. By Texas standards, again, it's tiny. We're mm-hmm. talking about maybe 1,400 surface acres or something like that. But for San Diego, it's a larger lake. And I had no earthly idea where he was going to tie it up. So I thought about getting up early and trying to, you know, go drive around the lake looking for headlights, try to find them, do something. But I'm thinking it's dark. There's no way I'm going to get this on tape. You know, there's, I don't know how to pull this off. So ultimately we just kind of decide that just going to wait and see what happens, see how this plays out. And they go and fish the tournament. They, I, out of Kevin's boat, out of Kevin's boat. Mm -hmm. And I did not fish the tournament. I was at home and I had heard that Kevin and, and Mike had won. So I call Kevin and Kevin and I are friends had worked together at a boat dealership 
And I call Kevin and I say, Hey man, you know, congrats on the win. What'd you, how'd you guys do it? And he starts telling me about some fish they caught, some sight fish. And I say, that's cool. You know, did anything weird happen? And he goes, no, nothing really weird happened. And I'm like, are you sure? And he goes, yeah. And then then he like kind of has this moment where I kind of like, I heard him thinking, you know, I could hear that he just dawned on, he found something in his brain that didn't make sense to him. And so he goes, oh, you know what? Actually something weird did happen. And he tells me the story of, of Mike, uh, you know, getting stuck on this tree and needing scissors and a bait floating up that he had cut off the tree and a fish eating it and netting it and something, you know, there's some crazy story about how he got this one fish on the swim bait. <laughs> and I go, Kevin, dude, he tied that fish up to a tree. That's what happened. And Kevin goes, Oh man, like, what do we do? And, and I'm like, okay, let me call you back. You know, let me figure out what we're going to do here. Ultimately, again, circumstantial evidence, don't really know what happened. Kevin didn't actually see really enough to go to anybody and say, this is exactly what happened, but we had the circumstances. We knew that he took a fish from a pond the day before or a couple days before, and that a similar-sized fish was was caught in a, in a weird circumstance. Uh-huh. So Buck had planned to fish another another tournament with him, and I remember we were looking up uh, I got to question these guys that still will fish with him, even though even though Buck had seen that. Like, yeah, it doesn't. doesn't so make so sense. Buck was aware of what was going on, and Buck was out to catch him. At this okay. point, everybody is out to catch him. Uh-huh. So we're all playing it cool. What does Kevin do at this point? Kevin Norling's kind of scared to death about what people are going to think of him, and he just wants nothing to do with him at he's this an point. Up and coming angler, yeah, wants to make it on his own. Yeah, doesn't want this black cloud. He realized what just happened. He just got used for this scheme. So Kevin shuts it down. Kevin no longer fishes with Mike. They never fish again. Um, and I told Kevin at the time that, you know, someday we're going to do this. We're going to do this right. And we're going to, you know, you're going to have to tell your story, regardless of what it's going to make people think of you. Um, you know, there's nothing else we can do at this point. You know, there's, you don't have the proof to take away that tournament from him. But at some point I'm going to call and we're going to talk about this on the record and we're going to tell a story. And so, so yeah, getting back to Buck, um, Buck's going to fish with him again. And we're thinking of how, how are we going to catch him with a scenario that, that Buck's under, which is Mike is telling Buck to focus at the front of his boat while he does, you know, trickery. Who, in the back which of the angler boat. did Mike try to pay off? That, uh, this is Buck. Okay. Yep. Uh-huh. So, so I'm looking up online for like little hidden cameras, little pinhole cameras and stuff that we can put on the back of Buck's hat and just let that run. And Buck can just, oh, wow. you know, fish off the front of the boat and start recording everything what that's going on this? behind him. Uh, I believe this is 2008 or 2009. Uh-huh. My, probably 2009. And, um, and I think the, the tournaments are talking about doing these full boat inspections and stuff like this. And Mike's starting to get wind of things. And somebody tipped Mike off that something was going on, that these guys were out to catch him, you know, that people were wide wised up to it. And so they don't end up fishing again together at this point. There's no opportunity to put a hidden camera or anything like that. Mike kind of shuts it down. Um, and that's it. And they, then him and Buck don't actually end up fishing again together after that point, after the point of where we were really trying to catch him. So we kind of got squashed. There was a tournament where Mike showed up and realized that they were going to do an entire boat inspection, tear his boat apart, and he made up some excuse about his wife or something and stormed off and took off and didn't even fish. <laughs> T- turned around and went home. Uh, unfortunately, the people that were a part of that 
didn't really want to talk about that on the record, so that wasn't a part of the article, but that yeah. was something that happened. Wow. Wow. Incredible. Yeah. Well, how does he ultimately uh, get busted then? The circumstantial evidence just started piling up to to a point where nobody could to turn a blind eye to it. Oh, oh, we didn't even mention like these tournaments that used to have 50, 100 boats or whatever. Yeah. Are now getting like if they know Mike Long's fishing, it's dropped in like the field is cut in half. Yeah, we were getting 80, 90 boats in the early 2000s, which is a lot for San Diego. It, you couldn't even handle many more boats out on those small lakes. Mm. But uh, I know that's nothing in comparison to what Bass Champs and stuff gets out here. But yeah, so by the time, you know, we're getting to 2009, 2010, you got 30 boats as a good turnout. Hmm. There's other tournaments that are drawing 15, 16 boats. I mean, it's ridiculous what happened. And I don't know if it was all because of guys suspecting Mike was cheating or just guys getting tired of Mike winning in general, you know, just feeling like we don't have a chance. Even if they thought he was doing it legitimately, you know, why show up if Mike Long's just going to win anyways? Something, um, something else that stood out in this piece that was quite – ironic was that there were other cheaters that were caught and banned and it was mike long that videoed them and turned them in yeah yeah and then in like 2005 he caught a father-son team snagging bass at san vicente reservoir where he rented a boat ahead of the tournament got out before everybody else blasted off and went right to where he knew they would be doing it and set up in the bushes and filmed them and got them on camera and got them disqualified and banned for life Incredible. Yeah. Absolutely incredible. So did he ever get caught actually snagging a bass in a tournament? No. No. There was never that moment of just definitive proof. But it but everyone believes that it's that golden goose, that that golden ticket, his all excess pass to Lake Jennings that was producing a lot of these big bass he would be weighing in at these tournaments. Yeah. 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 I think Jennings he was, was the best opportunity. Likely snagging him. Yeah, snagging him or live bait or yeah, probably snagging him. Mm-hmm. You, at some point, decide, okay, so now we're in 2019. I guess this all kind of went away for a few years. like, Or did, did they yeah. just say, okay, Mike Long, no, the circles. Let's circles. go back to 2010 uh-huh. is basically when he fished his last bass tournament. And the circumstantial evidence had piled up so high that the tournament directors couldn't ignore it anymore. And this is also, coincidentally, the same time that Mike Hart gets caught in the U.S. Open, that big, giant cheating scandal that rocked the bass fishing world. So everybody knew that cheating was a part of bass fishing and it wasn't this, you know, unheard of act that we kind of previously thought it was. Mm -hmm. So the tournament directors required, um, Mike Long to take a lie detector test if he was going to continue fishing and he refused to do that. So that was, that was how he was banned. He wasn't actually, there was no press release saying that Mike Long can't fish tournaments anymore. Mm -hmm. It wasn't public knowledge. It was just, uh, you know, he was, told he had to take a lie detector test if he wanted to continue fishing and he didn't want to do that so that was that was it he was done so wow. he kind of slipped away to various parts of the internet did his instagram thing and was still kind of a he was throwing up these big fish bass catches all the time and then in 2014 is when we discovered or we we publicly got him to admit rather that he lied about the poway lake record which he, where he we, used John where Kerr's he used fish. John fish. Uh-huh. Um, we published side by side photos of John Kerr holding the fish in the same boat with the same sunglasses sitting on the seat and all that, alongside of of Mike's fish. And he and admitted this is on SD fish. This is on SD fish, yeah. And he admitted that that he did use John's picture or the picture of John's fish yeah. uh, to claim that record. So his reputation took a hit then, and he kind of went away for a few years. And that was kind of like a that was like a hint. That was kind of my way of saying, you know. We got you on this one. Hopefully he takes the hint and knows that 
man, these guys are probably going to figure out the other stuff too. And I should just go away while I still have a name. And he did kind of go away. And then in the last couple of years, some of these internet guys, these YouTubers have kind of brought him back to life. Like, like Oliver with big bass dreams did that, that pep talk video that's kind of notorious on the internet now. And, uh, kind of inspired Mike to get back on Instagram and, and keep being Mike long. So that's where we kind of finally in 2018 thought, you know, time's up. Like we got to just put him away for good. And I set out to do the videotape and get him snagging fish. You know, I knew he was snagging the fish. Mm -hmm. I just, I knew if I could get a video of it, it would make everything else that everybody's ever said about him. Um, you know, much more believable. Much You're living in Fort Worth though. I'm living in Fort Worth. Yeah. So, so how are you going to go? No one he's fishing and go get a video of Mike Long snagging a fish in California. That's what took so long. Everyone wants to know what took so long. Why why that big gap from 2010 to 2019? Well, and I was living 1,200 miles away, mm-hmm. and nobody else was going to do it. Um, I kind of wanted other people to do it. I thought I, there was other guys that were aware of what he was doing and, and perfectly capable of getting this kind of footage. But they're bass fishermen and they're big bass fishermen. And in the spring when the fish are spawning and you have the opportunity to catch these big 15, 16 pound fish, you want to actually be fishing. You don't want to be hiding in the bushes watching somebody else fish. So mm-hmm. some of these other guys were just not willing to do it. And so, you know, I said, I guess it's got to be me then. Um, in 2018, I was back visiting my parents for spring break. And and I was tipped off that he was at Lake Poway at the time working a big fish. They didn't say he was trying to snag a big fish, but just that you know, he was obviously, you know, concentrating on one spawning bass that was up and he was trying to catch it. And so I was about 10 minutes away and I swung by and I, I go out there and I'm on a hiking trail above him and I look down and, and he's clear as day, just deliberately attempting to snag the fish. There's no, he's got one rod in the boat. He's got, you know, just a backpack and a cooler. There's no real tackle box or anything like that. Like he's, He's out to snag bass. He's not swim bait fishing or doing anything else. Mm-hmm. He's just hunting these fish on the beds. And so I start filming him. And there's some footage in the video that I put out from that day where he's swinging and missing on these big fish. And so I realized that this is doable. This is, you know, this probably wouldn't be that hard to find him, to get him on tape, something clear that people can't refute it kind of just ran its course that spring where we ran out of time. The fish stopped spawning at those lowland lakes and I didn't get him snagging anything on camera that year. He missed, he swung a hundred times right in front of me and just missed, just miss after miss. It's after not miss. even good yeah. at snagging. <laughs> I don't I, we already know he sucks at fishing, but <laughs> I don't know if it's just, again, these fish, a lot of people picture a spawning bass and they just picture a bass sitting on a nest and not moving, not caring about anything. These big fish are wary. So, when they're spawning, they're relating to a nest, but they're not sitting parked on it. Uh-huh. They're not a sitting duck. That's why in the video he's moving around a lot, and it looks like he's you know he's scanning this the shoreline and stuff. He's chasing these fish around because they they want to spawn on that nest, or maybe they just laid their eggs on that nest, so they don't want to leave the area. But they're not going to go just sit on the nest. They don't yeah. park it up. So it it's probably not hard or not easy to snag these fish yeah. um, unless you catch them when they are out there laying the eggs or doing the little twist and turny thing. Yeah. It was difficult because he just missed, 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 and I never got that shot. And so I came back. Uh, we already had our plane tickets back that were booked because this trip was not not set out to catch Mike Long. This was just a, a vacation. Yeah. And we, I come back to Texas. It kind of bothers me for a few days, so I hop in the car, and I just drive right back out there to California. And I go out there, and by this time, yeah, it's the ship has sailed kind of. It's too late. Mm. The, the fish aren't spawning at Lake Poway or any of these lowland reservoirs. 
and some of the other reservoirs that he's concentrating on this time, you know, I can't get a high vantage point or anything to get a good shot. So it doesn't happen. I go back home with the idea that I'm going to come back the next year, 2019 and, and do this the right way. And, you know, I, I kind of, we got into like the spring and I had other things going on. I almost didn't make the trip out there cause I almost just didn't want to deal with it again. And Kevin Matson was kind of inspired me. He just stayed on me just saying, man, you got to go do it. You're going to get internally him. struggling with this thing for I have. a decade at, almost at this I point. I have, but you know, and everybody thinks I obsessed over this. This was some like personal vendetta. It really wasn't. Um, well, think about all the, it's not, it's not a personal vendetta, but I think about all the money that he stole from guys like you, from guys like John Kerr, um, and, and not just in tournament money, but like for John, like what about sponsorship opportunity? The thing that bothered you know? me the most about the entire situation was what happened to John Kerr's life as a result of Mike Long and Mike Long took a lot away from him and, uh, John would have been a much bigger deal had Mike Long not existed. So that bothered me the most. That was the personal reason. I didn't care about the tournament winnings. I don't even know how much he took from me. I've never thought to add it up. Yeah. Um, it's probably not much. You're talking about... Well, he won hundreds, like what, 100 and something. Yeah, he probably won like 175,000 um, just on tournaments and the Big Bass Record Club stuff. Yeah. But, you know, he I never took second place to him. I, I probably got, you know, fourth place when he won or something like that. And that maybe cost me a couple hundred bucks at some point. And then, yeah. you know, a couple other tournaments like that. So, you know, maybe he's stolen thousand bucks for me but who cares you know there's a couple other guys i did tally everything up i do know you know which guy got second place to him the most and stuff like that but you're still talking about you know like four occurrences where the same guy got second place to him so that guy's got you know maybe six eight thousand dollars with his name on it that mike took from him don't the money didn't bother me it was what he did to john kerr it was and it was what he did with the lake records because, again, like we started out this interview, I love the fish. The fish are it for me. Uh-huh. And I love celebrating the size of the fish in San Diego. And he made a mockery of that. You know, some guy, some regular Joe, weekend warrior would be out, you know, throwing a swim bait that he bought the weekend before and luck into catching a 12-pounder and be stoked out of his mind. But it didn't mean anything because Mike Long caught seven 12-pounders, you know, that week. It just – he made a mockery of it. And he, he claimed to have caught 75 fish over 15 pounds. I know that's BS. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it didn't happen. You know, one interview, he'll say he caught 75 fish over 15. The next interview will be 100 over 15. And then the next interview, it'll be like 60 over 15. So he was just completely making this stuff up. Hmm. He said in one interview that he caught three fish over 20 pounds. And then another interview, you know, it's just dotty. So depending on who he was talking to, how many fish he caught. Hmm. But yeah, I, I wanted... I wanted the fish to mean something again. I wanted a guy that caught a 12 pounder or 15 pounder or something like that. I wanted that to be a big deal again Yeah. because it is a big deal. Those fish don't exist. They don't grow on trees. There's big fish in San Diego, but there's not a ton of them. You know, we're not swarming with 15, 18 pounders like Mike Long makes it appear. Well, so personally, and I haven't told you much about like my fishing experience, but I grew up more bass fishing um, and didn't really get into hunting until I was a young adult. Um, but my dad's just eaten up with bass fishing as a boat and, you know, the whole nine yards. And so I caught that 10 to three out of this neighborhood pond. Like we talked about with all the mansions around it and everything. And my dad's never broken the 10 pounder and he's fishes way more than me, you know? Yeah. Wow. And so I just keep, I always needle him with that. And then I, for, I was like, for me, the 10 pound was like, uh, the top of the mountain. And so I literally did not go bass fishing again for like eight months. I was like, I don't need to. I'm good. Yeah. What's the point? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It took till next. Really, it might have been a year. I think I went a couple times in the fall, but 
it was like before I really got serious about trying to catch a big fish again, you know, I went, I went a whole year. I was like, I don't even care. I'm not mad at them anymore. Yeah. You know, but that, but for me, you know, that, that meant the world, the 10 pounder. So like you're saying for that, and I'm just the average guy, you know, never fished a tournament in my life. Probably never will. Don't care to. Uh, but for the average guy that goes out there and catches the 12 pounder on the bait that he bought the weekend before. Yeah. I'm that guy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It should mean something. And it didn't for a long time. It's and the sad. lake records, he did screw up the lake records because now these lakes don't know how to handle it. Um, they don't want to honor his lake record anymore, obviously, because they, they know it's BS, but they don't want to outright take it down because they, they're scared they're going to get sued or something. But, uh, but they need to, they need to sack up and, and take them down and replace them. I have all the info that they need to put you know, the rightful owner of the lake record back <laughs> up on their websites and stuff uh-huh. and start over and make this count for something again. But I think, I feel like a lot of them are just going to take down the lake records altogether and stop talking about lake records and just pretend like it never happened, which is sad to me. It, yeah, that's absolutely terrible. But so 2019, spring of 2019, you go back out there. And you rent you rent a camera with a huge lens, and so talk about how you actually proved that he's a snagger, and then and you had the evidence you needed to publish this article. Yeah, I had the camera. I didn't. I had a lens, a three hundred millimeter lens that I was using the previous year, and I kind of realized that if I had like a six hundred millimeter lens, that this could this could be easier. I could stay further away, stay out of sight. And still get the shot I needed. So yeah, I rented a lens. Cost me like a hundred bucks a week, um, and and I spent three weeks out there this spring. And the first week, nothing happened. Um, he was he was going fishing, but he was legitimately fishing up at Quiamaca, mm-hmm. which is in the article. I talk about that a lot. So that was frustrating. Is is hearing that he was up at Quiamaca, and then going up there, driving all the way up there. Like I said, it's about an hour and a half drive up the mountain. You know, cost 20, 30 bucks in gas every time you go up there. And just to go up there and see him and watch him all day long, just legitimately fishing, you know, and catching a swim bait fish or something like that. You're like bow hunting for yeah. a, a big whitetail. Yeah. The prize here is the, the ultimate. The prize was the shot, the money shot of yeah. him snagging a bass clear as day. And so I, I was frustrated. I was down about it. Um, I had a, I booked a plane ticket when I made the trip out there for three weeks. So I was planning to be there for three weeks. And I was thinking, man, I'm not going to get this in three weeks. I've been here over a week and, and he hasn't even tried to snag one yet. What's he doing? Why is he not snagging fish? And so kept at it. And then, you know, one day I find out that he is at Lake Poway again. And so I run up there and there he's at, he's back at it. He's got the snagging rod out. He's got the snagging rig out and he's going to town. And it took, I was probably watching him for about four hours and not filming, but just watching him, waiting for the moment where it looked like it was going to happen. And all of a sudden, he starts, he's keys in on one, and I start running the tape, and he swings, and he's hooked up, and he's got one. And he starts dragging it out to deep water, and I'm like, man, this is just bizarre. And because I, I didn't know what it was going to look like when he did actually snag one, because if you watch the video, I'm focused on Mike. There's nobody else in the shot, but know that there's five or six shore fishermen lining the shore between me and Mike just i mean they're they're so close to him that they're having conversations with him because again it's mike long so people are you know wanting to talk to him and he's having conversations with him just normal voice level just right there shore fishing so he's scanning the bank making sure nobody's looking making sure those guys aren't paying attention they're trout fishing or catfish fishing or whatever 
and he hooks this fish and he starts walking it out to deep water and that's the big one that comes up and jumps and it looks like it's hooked in the mouth and so keep running the tape he does it he does the whole photo shoot i kind of had a checklist of what i needed to make sure this this video meant something and mm -hmm. that was make sure that number one it was clear that he snagged it number two that he's claiming it as a catch and i wanted him to post it on instagram so i let the tape roll hoping that he's gonna you know and the whole so you can't see the other people because you're zoomed in on mike but the whole time like you said if you watch the video He's always looking around. Like he's always looking yeah. around, Normal and he guys walks. Care about that? He's just happy he got this big fish. No, nobody fights fish like that. He's mm -hmm. sitting down. He's not even paying attention. That big fish comes up and jumps. Which, if you're a bass fisherman, you know that's not the scenario you want. You don't want a, a big ten pound bass <laughs> shaking its head. The one that I caught jumped three times. Every time I said, "Please, yeah. Lord, let this happen for me." Please, and, he, and you can please. tell he's not even worried about that. And he <laughs> it jumps, and it's this big, cool shot. This big bass shaking its head, and he's not even caring. He's just like barely even paying attention. He barely. He just, he doesn't even know it's going to jump until after it jumps. So, and he's, he's letting the fish take him out to deep water or he's, he's got the trolling motor going out towards deep water to get away from the people that are there. Mm -hmm. He's already in deep water where he hooks the fish. I mean, it's probably 15, 20 feet deep. There's nothing on the bottom. It's just sand and grass. There's nothing he's worried about breaking off in or anything like that. So the whole, you know, he's taking him out to deep water so he can land him is BS. He's just taking him out to deep water so that he can get away from the eyes. So he, he takes it out there. He nets it. Puts it in the boat, goes through the whole process of measuring it. I think he had just got that sponsorship with that measuring board, that, that roll-up measuring board that he's using there. So that's like his first opportunity to really put that out there. And he does this whole photo shoot. You can A lot of people are really bothered by how long he has the fish out of water. Does that whole deal, posts it up on Instagram, I think, maybe a couple days later. And so that was like, you know, we kind of knew we had him, but... He has a GoPro on the on the side of his boat. He's taking pictures taking pictures of himself or whatever. It's it actually is. his phone. Yeah, he's okay. got a he's, he's got a selfie stick there. Yeah, he's got there a selfie got. stick in his backpack. And he's about to put the fish in the water, and then he's like, "No, wait, no, no, one more." And he gets it out back out of the water, and then poses, sets his timer one more time, yeah. and takes another picture. And he's dipping the fish in the water, but he's not like dipping them in deep enough to where they're getting any oxygen out of the water. He's uh -huh. just dipping them off to to shine them up again. That's like you know. You want it, You don't want a dry fish when you're taking a photo. It doesn't yeah. look as good. You want the shiny fish, the wet fish. So yeah, he's dipping them in the water to get them wet again, so the pictures turn out. If there's one thing to credit Mike Long, he's an excellent fish photographer. He takes some of the best fish photos of anybody. And he's really good at that. He puts a lot of effort into that. He's that, that's his thing. But yeah, not catching bass. So anyways, so he does that. He releases that fish eventually. He goes right back to the bank. And I stop recording and I'm looking at my screen trying to see what I got because I, this is far away. I'm zoomed all the way in. I can't tell with my own eyes if he snagged that fish, if he hooked it in the mouth, what happened. That's the first one that I've seen him get. So I don't know what I got. So I'm looking, I'm trying to see what I got, see where he, where he hooked that fish. And then I look down and he's dragging another fish out. He went right back to the bank. There must have been two right in that same area. He went right back there within minutes, had hooked another one. So after like 13 months of seeing him not get anything, he's got two hooked up within five minutes of each other. So I start recording again. That's the second fish that's on there. That's why there's no no video of him swinging on or anything like that because I was uh, literally just trying to find out what I got from the fish he just mm -hmm. released. And so he walks that one way out to deep water, and that's the one that comes up just clear as day sideways. You can see the bait in the fish when it's still in the water. It's coming in sideways. It's not jumping or anything like that because it's hooked in the side. And so he nets that one, and I know this time I know I got him because I know that fish was coming in sideways. Yeah. So I could see that with my own eyes. Mm. And, and he goes through the whole same process, does the photos, does everything, puts it on Instagram. 
and I mean, that one's clear as day. That was the nail in the coffin. That was the one I knew I had him at that point. I got a few more. I got, I think two more fish there in the video that he snagged. And that was all over the course of two days. That was April 4th and April 5th that I got all the footage of him snagging bass in the videos. Mm -hmm. And I still went back, looked at it all, knew, knew I had them. I knew I had what I needed in that regard, but I wanted to get a really good shot of the bait, like a still photo of that snagging rig that he had so that I could show, you know, that it was a treble hook. So the next week he's out and he's going to Lake Cuyamaca every day again. He's doing the, doing the swim bait thing and he's catching some legitimate fish. Um, that lake is a really easy lake to get bait on the swim bait. There's nobody's going up there cause it's in the mountains. It's mm -hmm. pain in the butt to get to. So he's got it all to himself. He's the only one there in the middle of the week, literally the only person fishing. So I watch him up there. Some days I, I hear he's up there. I don't even go up there cause I just don't even want him. And there's no point to it. And so my, my flight is booked for April 13th and it's April 11th. He's at Cuyamaca and I, I go, man, I, I need him back at Lake Poway. So I go on my Facebook page for SD fish and I tell, you know, the whole entire San Diego fishing community that the bite at Cuyamaca is awesome on the swim bait and you know, that they're spawning and stuff like that. So, <laughs> so I give up his bite and so it worked, you know, the next day, you know, there's dozens of people up there in his way and he knows that he sees the post. I'm sure he saw the post or he was told about the post. So he knows you know, he can't go back to Quimaca tomorrow. So I'm hoping he's going to, you know, not just take the day off. And I hope he just goes to Lake Poway or Lake Dixon or something like that where I can film him. And sure enough, uh, I followed him the next day from his house and he goes to Lake Poway. You followed him? I followed him, yeah. I wanted to make sure I got them. That was my last day. I want to make sure we got him. So, so I'm there when he gets there. I might hire you if I ever need like a, a <laughs> PI. <laughs> Magnum PI. <laughs> Oh, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. So that day, and the only thing on my mind that day was getting the shot of, of the bait close up. So I already knew what I had. I knew I had it on hard drives offsite. I knew we were, you know, this mission was a go at this point with what I had already, but I just wanted a photo of the bait. So I decided I'm going to take some more risks. I'm going to get closer. I'm going to get right on the, the shoreline and, and try to find a good spot near a fish that are spawning and try to get it get a good shot of that bait. I knew this was, if I'm going to get caught, it was going to be, it was going to be now I was, you know, I was in a spot to get caught. I was where he was looking when he's scanning around make sure nobody's looking. I was, I was right there, you know, I'm a head to toe in camo still, but you know, if he looked at me, he's going to see me. And so sure enough, during, during the course of that day, at some point he sees me and I, I never saw the moment where he saw me and I, I wasn't actively filming him when this happened, but his behavior changed. You know, it was like the moment where he see a white tail or something like that. Like, knows you know they got the wind of you mm -hmm. like they the behavior's changed and he, he clips on a a jig and he starts just chucking it out to deep water and pretending like he's fishing a jig and man i go man something spooked him i didn't know it was me that spooked him i just said something spooked him and he couple casts with a jig he reels in and he trolling motors over across the lake and so this whole this whole mission this whole trip i had not gone over the other side of the lake because it's like a half an hour walk up a hill and it's you know i didn't want to do it and i was just filming from where i was and i thought well this time i'm gonna go over there i'm gonna walk all the way over there so i only got one more day to do this and i walk all the way over there when i get over there half an hour i'm all sweaty carrying this big old camera over there he i come back down the hill try to get in position on him again and he 
picks up and goes straight to the dock from there. So he turns in his rental boat. Again, this is a lake that doesn't allow private boats. It's just mm-hmm. rental boat only. He turns in his rental boat. And so I go, well, I guess it's over. You know, I guess, you know, get on the plane, go back to Texas, do, do this video, do this article. And so I'm walking back to the parking lot. And now I'm all the way on the other side of the lake. It's about 45 minute walk back to the parking lot. And the trail splits and there's a low trail that goes along the lake for the fishermen. And then there's a high trail that's for hikers going up to Mount Woodson. Hmm. And so at the point where it splits, it's uphill to go on the high trail and it's not a steep hill, but it's a hill I didn't really want to walk up that day because I, you know, just, just got done walking a half an hour to the other side up hills. Yeah. So in my, in my mind, for some reason, I remember having this thought in my mind of I should take the high trail because he's less likely to be on the high trail. If he saw me, you know, I'm not going to bump into him on the high trail. He saw me on the low trail. That's probably where he's going to come. And so, but I thought, you know, he, I don't think he saw me. I never saw him see me. Uh, you know, I thought, so I just took the low trail and just to go back to the car and take the easy route. And I'm walking down the trail. And I turn the, or, uh, he turns the corner and he's 40 yards in front of me walking down the hiking trail, walking right at me. And so luckily I was paying attention. And I guess he wasn't paying attention. And I saw him before he saw me and I pulled my face mask back up and cover up my face and I, had the camera over my shoulder and I just walked straight, pretend like I didn't even know he was there, didn't acknowledge him, didn't recognize him, didn't make eye contact or anything. Played it cool. And I see out of my peripheral, he's starting to walk towards me. He's the trail's 10 foot wide and he was on the far side of the trail and he's walking directly at me. So I'm going, okay, we're, you know, this is going down now. Like something <laughs> he's coming at me and he walks right up to me and walks right past me within probably a foot. You know, he, he's, he's six foot three, I'm five foot eight. He towers over me. Yeah. And so he's looking down on me, walks right past me. He, for some reason, played it cool too. And I played it cool and we just walked right past each other and he never said a word. He didn't say, hi, what's up? Anything like that. Cause that's what I was worried about. He knew it was you though? I, no, I don't think he knew it was me. Huh. I think he knew, so, he saw somebody in the bushes. He saw someone's up. He came out to look for him. He probably expected to find him in the bushes still or something like that. And whatever he saw of me walking past him was not what he expected. Huh. We haven't seen each other in, you know, nine years at this point. Yeah. But uh, I knew if he said hi to me and I said hi back or something like that, he would recognize my voice. So I was hoping he didn't say anything. He didn't say anything. We kept walking and he never turned around immediately. Um, and I just kept walking in the parking lot, got in the car and went home. And that was it. That wrapped it up. And so, I mean, I knew it. he was out there looking for me. I knew he, he must have saw me if he was out there on the trail, yeah. you know. That was way out of the way of what he should have been doing, which was getting in his car and going home. So, yeah, I got in the car, wrapped it up, kind of took a deep breath, and <laughs> and that was it. And uh, I I know, you know, by now he obviously knows it's me, and he knows that's, you know, it's all in the context for him. He knows that's what it was all about at that mm-hmm. point. But, mm. but, yeah. Wow. Wild ending to that story. Yeah, incredible. Wow. Well, like I said, man, um, best fishing piece I've read in a long time. Thank you. And uh, I encourage folks to to check it out. The Dark Secret of America's Big Bass Guru. The Mike Long story. It's a fictional character. Um, larger than life guy. Yeah, if you guys haven't heard of it and you hadn't read it yet or seen any of it, uh, maybe start with a video. I've heard that's like the more enjoyable way to go about this. But stick it out. There, there's a fish like eight or nine minutes into it that looks like it's hooked in the mouth. It's not. It snagged it in the head. Mm-hmm. And then at about the 12, 13 minute mark, there's one clear as day in the side of it. And there's a few more other ones, you know, hooked in the side. So watch the whole video, then go digest the article. The article's nine pages. It's like 19,000 words. 
it's a lot of reading, but it's good. Oh yeah, it, and it gets he, better. Keeps at the you end. entertained. Yeah, and it just gets better and better. Yeah, so the st- audacity out. of this guy, and what the depths that he was willing to go to to cheat other anglers, cheat the system. Oh, it's just mind blowing. It's mind blowing. Yeah, it's got yeah. something for everybody. Even if you're not a fisherman, you know, send it to your mom because there's some psychology and stuff like that. That's just mind blowing. Yeah, human manipulation and stuff. It's. It's well, plug your uh, plug your website and your social stuff. Yeah, uh, my website's sdfish.com. That's where the articles are at. Um, check them out. For you guys in Texas, there's probably not a ton for you, but if you're into the big bass thing, there's some content other than the Mike Long stuff that you might be interested in. Um, we're on Facebook and Instagram and all that. You can find us easy enough. Just typing in SD Fish. Awesome, man. Well, I certainly appreciate it, Kellen. It's been yeah. Thanks for having treat. me, Cable. So there he goes, Kellen Ellis of SD Fish. Truly a wonderful job reporting. The truth behind this uh, fictional persona that Mike Long created of himself as this uh, so-called big bass guru. And the amount of time and energy that Kellen put into this piece, I mean, uh, years and years he poured into this project, uh, countless hours digging through old articles and magazines and and trying to connect the dots in this uh, web of lies that Mike Long had spun over the better part of a decade and a half. So, well done, Kellen. Now, that segment, by the way, was brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy. If I ever did catch a 20-pound bass, uh, like Mike snagged Dottie, (laughs) I would take it to Josh and Becky at Rustic Reminders and have them make a replica. Actually, I mean, obviously, I would let the fish go. Uh, But Josh and Becky would bang out an incredible replica mount for me. I've got a 30-inch, well, 29-and-3-quarter-inch trout on the wall that they did as well and they'll do the same for you whether it's a bass a buck a turkey african game exotics you name it give rustic reminders a call you can find them at gr the number eight mounts.com unfortunately we're out of time gotta go gotta get out of here thanks to kellen for dropping by today we will do it again same time same place next week thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible thanks to you the listener being a part of the Lone Star Outdoors show. Until then, I'm Cable Smith saying y'all have a great week in the outdoors. Kicking ass is getting old. Taking names takes its toll. On a worn out, busted, beat up soul like mine.